Hello and welcome to episode 186 of SMARTS, which, as you know, stands for Siblings Mar Affectionate Reunion Through Secrets. I am your host, Julia Gulia of Internet Fame Dash Podcaster, and with me, as always, is Trevor, aka Rudiger Q Podcaster. Hello. Hi. Okay. Do you have any news for us? I do have one bit of news. One? Just one? Yes. I demand more news. I'm sorry. Okay. That's I can mix some up. Is it a good bit of news? Is it going to be like the most news compacted into one bit of news? No, it's sad news. Oh, no. <laughs> now I feel bad. You have 12 minutes to live. <laughs> no. Um, the news is that Arrow, Stephen Amell announced on Twitter, you know this already, Stephen Amell announced on Twitter that Arrow will be ending after a 10-episode season 8 this fall. Oh, yes. I so didn't know no more this. Arrow. So apparently behind the scenes, and this is not secret stuff that's been leaked or whatever, you know, the people involved have been very upfront about it. it, it I think Stephen Amell even said on like a video on Facebook or whatever that he had approached the producers as season, season seven was wrapping up and mm-hmm. said, you know, look, I think that I want to end after this season. Mm-hmm. You guys should totally keep keep the show going, though, he said. Like he thought that the show could outlive him. Someone else could take up the mantle or could just be about the other characters or whatever. But he's like, you know, I want to, you know, move back to the states and i Mm want to you know spend more time with my family and do other do other work or whatever you know the usual the usual reasons um and they talked about it and they decided you know rather than do that that they would that they wanted to bring the show bring the show to an end but they couldn't do it in you know in that amount of time Mm -hmm. and so they everybody mutually agreed okay we'll we'll do it we'll do a season eight but it'll be like a shorter season eight cool so so it was a mutual decision. It's interesting that they that they even that they even considered keeping the show going without mm-hmm. him. It seems like you you could do it, but it would be it would be very. It seems like it would be kind of bizarre. Um, so I guess what everybody's assuming is that Crisis on Infinite Earths, the big crossover this fall, is going to provide the impetus for the show ending. Mm-hmm. You know whether they kill him off or whether. I don't know what they, I mean, obviously they hinted that something like that might happen in last year's crossover. Um, my suspicion is that they're not going to go that far. They might do like a fake out and make you think they've killed them off yeah. and then they reveal that they haven't really. And I also doubt that the crossover will be the final episode because it seems like the show would want to go out on its own terms with its own mood and style and not be about, you know, multiple Earths and monitors and all the crazy stuff Mm -hmm. in the end. So my guess would be like out of the 10 episode season that the crossover will probably be like two thirds of the way through that. And then we'll have a a few episodes at the end to let the show sort of deal with the consequences of what happened, whether it's Oliver's death or some circumstances that lead to his retirement or leaving or whatever. And then they'll spend a few episodes dealing with that. And then we'll end. But Stephen Amell even said that he's open to That's returning to in some capacity in the future. Mm-hmm. That doesn't necessarily mean they're not going to kill his character off, of course, because you could look at the other shows or this show for many, many examples of actors reprising their roles, even after their characters were killed off mm-hmm. in flashbacks, alternate earths, mm-hmm. what have you, dreams, um, sword through the gut and falling down a mountain in season three. Yeah, it just, I don't know. It doesn't seem like they're going to, I don't know. I just get the sense that they're not going to kill him off. It just doesn't seem like that's the way his story should end. Mm-hmm. So if I had a suspicion, it would be that he, like maybe he and Felicity go off to retire somewhere and he leaves the city in the hands of, you know, the people that he's trained or whatever like that. And it could, it always, you always have the possibility for him suiting up in the future if there's a huge emergency. Or even if he doesn't suit up, he could just like, you know, yeah, they, they they could kind of use him kind of like how they use Superman on Supergirl, you know, like he's there to, you know, talk to her 
if she needs a, someone to talk to or, you know, if he actually needs to suit up. It's an emergency, but they basically written him out of the show mm-hmm. on an ongoing basis. They could kind of do something similar with him. Well, I just wanted to bring this up to you because in the plot of the show, and I'm not going to get into spoilers, so don't worry. The, we'll save the discussion of the actual details to the end of the show, as we always do. But um, they've written parts of it that take place in the future, and you sort of know where Oliver Crean, or assume you can strongly assume what, he is well they've to. been more they've been more, more circumspect about that than they have with, with felicity felicity yeah. had like no. a long history after the present and then just relatively recently she disappeared and was presumed dead mm-hmm. but oliver i mean it seems like he wasn't really remember in that part these... where i said no spoilers <laughs> yeah well I, I mean it just it seems like they've been more circum- like he could be dead he could be missing he, he could be he could have gone on for years and then like they, it seems like nobody has like a lot of accumulated experience with him mm-hmm. after 2019 but i don't think they've actually said oh you know when the green arrow died in the crisis or whatever like nobody's been that on the nose about it so i think they obviously they know obviously since um since they Stephen and and they had this conversation and that was you know a a while ago maybe it was even maybe i'm even misremembering maybe it was even like before this season Mm -hmm. because he would have wanted to give them enough time to wrap everything up if if he was saying hey this should be the last season so i think i'm sure that they wrote this whole future sequence with his with the eventual season eight ending in mind. Mm-hmm. And so whatever they're doing in the future stuff is going to set that up right. or it could be averted. You know, this could be a possible future that's averted by the crisis, right? Mm-hmm. Much like we're assuming that the future where the Flash dies in the crisis mm-hmm. is going to be averted by the crisis because Oliver sort of set himself up to take Barry and Kara's place or something. Like, mm-hmm. I'm assuming that all these dark futures are kind of going to get averted. I'm not sure about this one, though, because mm-hmm. they've hung a whole season on this, basically, and it would seem like kind of a waste to just next year say, oh, none of that's going to happen anymore. Right. But it wouldn't be the first time in superhero comics you spend you invest a lot in setting up this cool future and then you just say oh that future's been averted you know like the x-men comics do it every other week so right. who knows and the number of times the legion's been rebooted after decades of of stories have been told about a particular version like that's happened three or four times so mm-hmm. it wouldn't be unprecedented but i just i think that this is more streamlined and they they've got more careful planning it's more of a singular vision behind it so i think they've got a plan for all this it's just we'll see anyway it's sad um because I think that he's, I've got a lot, like we talked, we've talked about this before, but I've got a lot of respect for him because it seems like he's universally loved and admired by the cast and the crew and the cast of the other shows that he works with, you know, during the crossovers, it seems like everybody has got a lot of respect for his, his work ethic and mm-hmm. his, you know, um, his, you know, patience and, and, um, you know, giving nature like on set, you know, like it just seems like, seems like he's a good captain of the show you know what right. i mean like mm-hmm. he's a good he's a good standard bearer for the show like when people come onto the show he's always very welcoming and encouraging and helpful to them and he never complains and he's always you know he always mm-hmm. knows his lines he always does his stuff if they're like oh we're going to do this crazy stunt sequence you're gonna to have to spend all summer training for it he's mm-hmm. like then that's okay. what i'm gonna do you know like because he kind of he seems like he's got his head on straight in the sense that he knew when he got this role that this was his big shot. Mm-hmm. And he's not hes not like so full of himself like, oh, I'll do this silly superhero show for mm-hmm. five or six years and then I'll hit the big time. Like he knows that this could be what he's remembered for, mm-hmm. you know, and but he doesn't, he doesn't, so he's not see, viewing it as a stepping stone to something else. Mm-hmm. But he knew that this was, if you do this right, then, you know, mm-hmm. you're going to, you're going to make an impact on people and you're going to, you know, you're mm-hmm. going to do a good job. People are going to remember you and you're going to, you know, you're going to make some money and you're going to, 
have your have your career and it's going to be you know it's going to be all that so he had his it seems like he went into this with the right idea and he he genuinely enjoys playing the character and enjoys interacting with the other cast members i've never heard anybody say anything bad about him mm-hmm. everybody from you know emily bett records to to everybody else in the show seems like they just they're they're over the moon for him so i've got a, i've got a lot of respect for him and just how game he seems to be for mm-hmm. he's like you want me to because it would be so easy to have someone who's like look you want me to do how many you want me to do this crossover and right. shoot how many hours this week in the yeah. cold vancouver rain in the fall and it's like no way am i doing that you right. know but yeah. i've never heard him turn down a challenge on the show he's like is it going to make the show better then i'm up for it you yeah. know yeah. like he wants the show to be the best the best it can be he wants his performance to be the best it can be he wants his physical condition to be as good as it can be to make the show as good as it can be and don't forget like i mean all the people on the show are in pretty good shape but someone like grant gustin doesn't need to hit the gym as much as Stephen melja does for the roles that they're playing respectively so grant gustin can come in and shoot a 12-hour day and be exhausted but Stephen mel's got to get up at like three in the morning the next morning and and (laughs) hit the gym for like two hours before shooting a 12-hour day you know so he in some ways he's got an even harder job than most of the other people on the show who just have to like not eat too much and you know (laughs) And generally, yeah. to stay in good condition, he's yeah. got to train like crazy. I know. So it's it's one of the hardest jobs out of anybody on these shows, and he I've never heard him complain about it once. So mm-hmm. I know. I just wanted to say that I, I've got a lot of respect for him. I'm anxious to see what he does next. I hope that it's something that lets him spread his wings a bit more. Because as much as I as much as I like his performance and I like and I like the character, I feel like there the some of my favorite moments with the character but when you get little glimpses of other sides of him like little bits of humor and little bits of tenderness and so on which mm-hmm. are obviously gotten more common over time as he's become a husband and a father and everything but when he's bouncing off some of the funnier characters like during the crossovers or whatever and he has moments of levity like that's that reminds me so much of the green arrow from the comics and i i want i want to see more of that on the show when we may or may not eventually you know we only have like what 17 18 episodes total left before the show ends when you include this season and next season so there's only so much they can radically change the character and make him a lighthearted guy by the end they're probably not going to do that but i hope that whatever role he plays next i could see him doing doing really well as like a leading man in a romantic comedy or something like that like mm-hmm. i, I want to see him do something a little different and not just become like ghettoized as the oh like street level direct-to-video action movie style like you see other actors that have done great stuff that we watch people like you know dave batista from guardians of the galaxy and so on like that and they do a lot of these like b-level directed direct-to-video action schlock movies mm-hmm. you know just to pay the bills and stuff and you know you got to do what you got to do but i hope that just because he's sort of a i hope he doesn't get pigeonholed as like the genre guy because he did like a comic book show on tv for eight years i hope that he's able to you know spread his wings a bit more and mm-hmm. you know because his, his range is not as immediately evident as someone like, say, Grant Gustin and Melissa Benoist, who are a bit more um, personable on screen and can sing and can dance and do sure. all these other things, you know, yeah. like he's like he's like the stoic, serious guy on the stoic, serious yeah, that's show. Where so he it's got a little harder to like in the yeah. very beginning, and it's sort of hard to. They're lightening him up, but like you said, it's not it's not got a lot of room to show his potential and show his range. Yeah, and I just I think it'll that, be fun to see. I him think that if you watch the random episode of each something. of the shows that are on now. He would be the guy that you'd be just as a new viewer. You'd mm-hmm. be less least inclined to think, "Oh, this guy's got a ton of range." Sure. I think you'd be wrong, but I think that's easy to get that impression. So yes, I hope that he's agreed. able to sort of rise above that in whatever he does next. So, I mean, it'll be sad when the show ends because who would have? I mean, I remember, I remember specifically. Maybe we should talk about this for a second. Since this, is, <laughs> this is only our news item. Is our first experience with the show? Yes. Because okay. obviously, I was following comics. 
Obviously, I'll I was following you. the comics and the character. Well, let me do mine, and sure. I'll do it. So, I mean, obviously, I was, and I watched Smallville for ten years, yep. and Smallville went off the air, and there were rumors that they were going to do a Green Arrow spinoff, but but everybody assumed it was going to be the Justin Hartley Green Arrow, yeah. the Green Arrow from mm-hmm. Smallville. And I'm like, oh, that'd be cool because they've set up like this Justice League around him that he was like the leader of, mm-hmm. and so they could have him, and maybe even Clark could appear periodically, and they could do like they could set up like a whole shared universe that spun out of Smallville. Yep. And then they said, no, we're going to do a show, but it's going to be. A completely new version, not in continuity Smallville. It's going to be called Arrow, which rubbed a lot of people the wrong way mm-hmm. right away, just calling it Arrow. Because it, like, it, it's just, it sounds like you're trying to play down its roots. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, because Green Arrow sounds goofier, comic bookier, right? I don't know why, but right. it just kind of does. Calling Arrow. It's like, <laughs> it's like Joss Whedon likes to say that they want, that he wanted to call the show Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but the network just wanted to call it Slayer, right? Because mm-hmm. it's like cooler and yeah, sexier yeah. and sleeker, right? Yeah. It's like, no. This is the name of the show. Like, it tells you everything you need to know. You have to have the silly name like Buffy in there to tell people that it's a little bit more lighthearted. lighthearted and you, gotta, yeah. you know. Um, and then, of course, the first season, season just felt so like it was trying so hard to be something that, that I was not terribly into. Like, it really, they really leaned into, like, the love triangles and the melodrama and, yeah. the, and the CW asking the dark and really, like, he's snapping people's necks and doing all this yeah. other stuff, right? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know about this show. Like... I, I I could tell that there was something there, but I, I like if if you'd asked me going into the first season, I'm like it'll maybe it'll get a couple of seasons and then it'll just kind of like collapse under the weight of its own, you know, yeah. melodrama and yeah. darkness, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and but then I think the end the the ending of season one, you know, they had the whole you know Malcolm Merlin like the bomb goes the earthquake bomb goes off or whatever it kills mm-hmm. a lot of people. Tommy dies, and I'm like, oh, that's that's interesting. That's kind of like a brave thing to do in the finale because you, you think they're going to kill it. Because I don't know if you remember, they really made you think they were going to kill off Quentin because mm-hmm. they yeah. had him like disarming yeah. one of the bombs or whatever. Mm-hmm. But instead, they kill off the best friend, who of course for everybody who watched Smallville for ten years, you thought that they were going to do the thing where Oliver becomes the hero and Tommy becomes. The, oh, the, the, yeah, Mer- yeah, yeah. the Merlin, no, the Merlin oh. from the comics, like the the evil archer. Oh, yeah, I thought that's they were right. going to do the Clark and Lex thing again. Two childhood friends grow up. One becomes the hero. The other becomes his nemesis. Right. But instead, they kill off Tommy, mm-hmm. and it becomes clear that John Barrowman's Malcolm Merlin is really the big villain. Yep. And Oliver fails, and a lot of people die. I'm like, oh, that's kind of a daring way to end the first season. And then, if you remember the second season, that was when they did the whole. Um, that was when they really ramped up Slade's role, and they did the whole thing, like where in the past they were they were becoming enemies as Shadow died. And Everything. And then the present, they reveal that Slate is there in the present. He's been mm-hmm. pulling all the strings. He kills Moira at the end. I think the second season is a lot of people's favorite season because they really felt that was that was certainly the point at which the flashbacks and the present day stuff really played off each other the best mm-hmm. because you were constantly learning things in the flashbacks that were informing what, what was, was happening, happening now. in the and present. It culminated in the huge battle between Oliver and Slade, both in the past on the Amazo ship mm-hmm. and in the present. Mm-hmm. And it, it, you know. So I think the second season was like, whoa, this is a really good show now. Mm-hmm. Like, this is just legit a good show. And then they also did, like, they did the Barry Allen yes. story in that one. So like, Was that season spin- two or was that season that three? Was season two, I think. Okay. And then Flash started when, well, Flash is on season five That's and Arrow's right. on season seven. So it's two years behind. They, right. they did, the, they did, the, cross, they did the, the backdoor pilot in season two and mm-hmm. then Flash started with Arrow season three. Yes, yes. Um, mm-hmm. And so they're going to spin a Flash show out of this? I don't know about that. Is it going to be as dark as this show? And then the, the first pro image is a Grant Gustin in the suit with a smile on his face. You're like, oh, they're going a little lighter maybe, yeah. but the red suit is too dark. And so like, I'm still not buying it, but I don't know, like gradually... I it's hard to pick an exact moment when you're like, wow, this this is insane. This has become like a shared universe of like half a dozen shows on TV. It's basically become like the closest we've ever seen to the DC Comics 
shared universe in live action. Mm-hmm. And I never would have predicted after that first sort of shaky mm-hmm. season. Well, like, you, you get the promo images, right, of Stephen Amell with like his head shaved and his no no shirt and scars all over his body and tattoos. Oh, yeah. And he's got like this glower on his face. You're like, this is Oliver Queen? Because you've read <laughs> enough comics now to know what Oliver Queen the now, comics is yes. like. And he's nothing like that. So right? Let me tell you my experience. This is a good segue into my experience because I feel like I benefited from the fact that I was completely ignorant walking into it. Not only did I not... Uh, spend time reading the news and promos and be in touch with with all the announcements ahead of time. I didn't even start watching the show until my sister, Diana, introduced me to it. Um, Hi, Diana. When was that? Was Uh, that partway through season one? That was partway through season one. And I played catch up with the first season. She said, oh, my God, I just started watching the show. And it's amazing, especially you, since you like parkour, you will love this show. And I'm like, wait a minute, they put parkour on TV? Because a lot of the stunt work was never seen on TV before. I have to tell you, like, there were niche films like District 9, is that the right film? District 13, I can't remember, I get them confused. Um, The one out of France that basically introduced parkour to the world at large. Um, But the the, District 13 was the one that took place in South Africa with the alien bugs. Yeah, I I get them, but that's what I'm saying. That's probably not the one that you mean. I know, but both of the titles are Were the alien bugs doing parkour? (sighs) Thank you. Yes, yes, they were. They would have had an easier time getting out of that ghetto that they were put in. They could have just like jumped off all the buildings. Yes, they were doing barkour. Barkour? I don't know. I I reached for a joke and it didn't come fast enough (laughs) anyway. Anyway, so coming from the background of not having read comics um, to inform who I thought Oliver Queen should be and having not really known anything about the show before I started watching it except for my sister's endorsement and... Then I I started watching it and they had me, I will never forget this scene, but one of the earliest episodes had Oliver Queen um, running through traffic to chase some villain and he jumps over a car and does a Kong vault right over a car. Now, for those of you who study parkour, you'll know exactly what I'm describing for for, for those of you who don't. Like he basically um, uses his hands and then pops his feet out in front of him while his hands are still on the hood of the car and it was elegant and so cool and I just lost my ever-loving mind. And then in the next moment, he jumps through a car window and slides right through it and then just ah, it was, ah, okay. It's bringing back a lot of feels, and that's when I fell in love with the show, and I just kept watching. I was on the hook at that point. Now, the darkness, the grittiness, the um, the somewhat shaky moments where I was like, oh, this performance or this line is not exactly 100% yet. Like, I could feel where they were figuring themselves out as a show and as characters were being written and developed. And I wasn't a fan of Laurel Lance, for example. Um, now well, I attribute it, like it now. Three I, years to now of... I attribute it more to the writers, and we've talked about this on the show since then. But I'm just telling you my initial reflections as a complete ignorant party watching this show and falling in love with this show. And I fell in love with it a lot earlier than you did, probably because I had less hang-ups about my preconceptions and my expectations of what the show should be. And so I really loved it for what it was. And they had me before season one and I was on the hook. I was like, oh, I wonder if Tommy is good guy or bad guy or what's happening right here. Like some something about the name Merlin. Like at that point, you and I were talking about who Merlin was supposed to be. And so I was expecting things to happen from that name, like a bad guy was going to happen well, we somewhere. Met, I think uh, we met Either either while season think, two was airing mm-hmm, or after yeah. season two had ended, because I remember specifically on we our first date, about. me telling you, 
because you we, we were talking about Arrow. I said like, oh, what shows you watch? You mentioned Arrow, and you said like you really liked the episode where Barry Allen showed up, and you you knew that he yes. became the Flash later. Yes. And I'm like, you know, they're doing a Flash show. And, and you, I lost you did, you my mind. I didn't know that. So it was either during yeah. season two or, or just mm-hmm. after season two. I guess we can figure that out because it was it would have been after, right? Because it yeah. was June, so it would have been in between seasons two and three. Exactly. Yeah. But I it, remember seeing and that backdoor pilot, by the way. Like I was so enthralled, and of course I knew the name just from public consciousness, and and it soaked into the. You ether. knew Barry Allen Bally, was the Flash. Barry from, Allen was the Flash, and I knew that. Interesting. Small fact. I'd be it's su- funny. I, I wouldn't have thought that that was a name that would have seeped into the public consciousness yet. I don't know. It seeped into mine. I don't because he'd been off. He for one thing, he'd been. He'd been, he hadn't been the Flash. He'd only been the Flash for like a couple of years after being gone for like 30 years. Right? I would so. have to dig into my memories to figure out why I knew that fact. But I did. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I from just watching did. like other cartoons growing up or whatever. Maybe. I mean, I think so. I I think some other people that I had talked to, like we were all talking about it. And um, not only that, but I mean, keep in mind, I read Kingdom Come before you and I met. Yeah, but the Flash in there was sort of a weird No, composite. but the name... But the names were there. Nobody mentioned the name Barry Allen in Kingdom Come. I would know. I've read it like 20 times. The, I don't know. That but that wasn't the only up. book that I read. Yeah, no, Either I, way, read it, it fell into my head somewhere you know, the, along the, the line. The other thing, just one last thing I'll say like to, to the tone, mm-hmm. is that the other thing that really rubbed people a lot of, along uh, the wrong way was that after Smallville, which was generally, I mean, it had its melodrama, but it was like teen melodrama, mm-hmm. not like gritty melodrama. It was generally a pretty bright yes. show. But Arrow really felt like it was playing up the whole... It felt like it was just one more example of DC going, everything has to be like a Christopher Nolan movie now. Because oh, ba- okay. the, the Christopher Nolan Batman trilogy was either was either still underway or had just finished. I have to think how long ago The Dark Knight Rises was. So it was probably in between Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises, right? That Arrow started somewhere around there. At any rate, it was when... I was like, oh... All of our superhero stuff has to be has to be gritty now. Like people were seeing, like Man of Steel was was coming out, and like that that looks really dark. And like now Arrow's on TV, and that why does that have to be like why does a Green Arrow show have to be really dark? Like that that was the other thing. Like if it was if it was dark on its own, of its own volition, kind yeah, of yeah. that would be one thing. But I think a lot of people just sort of sort of smelled the fact that this was this was like the higher ups the like executives saying of, well mm-hmm. you can do a green arrow show but you have to make it like dark and gritty and and like the like the batman movies the kids love those dark batman movies you know what i mean yeah. like that really turned people off the same way that it did when Zack snyder did man of steel and batman v superman like right. people sort of have a knee-jerk reaction to dc stuff being dark even when it ends up being good mm-hmm. they kind of you know it just rubs in the wrong way because it's not traditional so. Well, since we're talking about tone, I can tell you how I felt about um, the, the the tonal shift also between uh, Barry Allen and um, Oliver Queen in the in the backdoor pilot that we were talking about oh, way back when on a first date. Um, that was I just instant love for the character of Barry Allen and how they were portraying him and the, the interactions between him and Felicity at first, you know, because this is this is before they established that Felicity and Oliver were going to be a thing, obviously. So there was still room for like, ooh, Felicity met the, met her soul twin in uh, Barry Allen. And obviously, like later on, he'll he's going to have his origin story and then we're going to see him be the Flash. And he's it's so funny and ironic that he's running late everywhere well, you and all this cuteness. Remember they even did like, the I origin at the end of that episode. Do you remember yes. that? that had him go back to Central City and they right. had him go into mm-hmm. the lab and get hit by the lightning and then they reprised that scene again yes, they with did, added yeah. context before and after Understood. in the pilot of The Flash. I do remember. But I mean, it was so exciting. And by, by then though, that's again, season two, I was already on board for uh, um, for loving Arrow. I was a Arrow fan. I was an Arrow fan. <laughs> yeah. um, and that's that's kind of my, my, my take on it. I think I was more ready to 
be a fan of the show because of my ignorance. And I think that that's an interesting juxtaposition between your point of view and mine, because you have a lot of history with the characters and you're far more in touch with the ethos of what's going on as it's happening. And I'm, I'm a little bit more ignorant when it comes to breaking news and promo footage and uh, promo images and all that stuff that they put a lot of effort into marketing. I'm, I sort of just don't spend time seeking it out and so I get my news from you and from my siblings and stuff so um being such as I am I'm sure I'm not the only one in that kind of uh mm, box <laughs> and so I I think a lot of fans came to the show and learned about comics the way I did um through the show and it's sad to see it go but I am excited for everybody not just Oliver Queen <laughs> Stephen Amell. I'm so happy for what they did and how they changed and impacted culture in general because all of these shows that are on air now are due to the success and love that they generated for Arrow. And we wouldn't have comic books on TV right now if it weren't for that show being. Good. I think a lot of it. A and lot that's of, so great. I think a lot of it is down to him. I think that it's easy to Absolutely. it's easy it's easy to underestimate his contribution to those early seasons because he was so dour and so serious. Mm -hmm. But he still has a real presence on screen. And there was, even when he was being super serious, there was enough warmth in yeah. his performance towards his sister and his mother and his friends and like others. And like you, I think that, I think that you can't underestimate Felicity's importance to the show too, because oh, not, even, even, yeah. even and there's people out there that think her character is like a little too goofy or goofy whatever. and flighty and quippy or whatever, like too too weedy, so to speak. But I think that that what she added to the show and the way that she allowed him to have more moments of lightness mm -hmm. were part of what really let the show open up in terms of its tone and explore different tones too. So I think that if, it, again, if it wasn't for if it wasn't for him, mm -hmm. I think that moment where where they meet and like what whatever it was episode 5 or whatever where she was just brought in for like one scene. Yeah. I think that's like the genesis moment of the whole show because I think that even if they hadn't gotten together and they hadn't, you know, done the whole their whole romance thing. Right. I think that that moment was was key to just letting the show kind of breathe Play. a little bit, like sort Play. of relax and be a mm -hmm. bit more playful and I think that if you gotten someone in there who didn't bounce off of her that way or someone who wasn't able to bring that kind of warmth to it who was just like serious action guy sure. then it just it would have been too much like it would it would have collapsed under the weight of its own you know pretension and melodrama yeah. and darkness and it wouldn't have lasted a few seasons so I think that I think that um when he when he goes out I hope that they that they properly pay even if they don't kill off the character, that they properly pay homage to him. And the other, and the other thing is that they've even said, and this is more of a rumor than a, than a fact, but I remember reading a rumor that said, oh, Arrow, actually the rumor said Arrow and Legends would be ending this season. So I guess it remains to be seen whether that's true for Legends or not. It ended up being true for Arrow. But that those shows will be ending, but they'll be folding some of the cast members into other shows. Mm -hmm. So it might not be, the like we said, it might not be the last we see of Oliver Queen, but it might not, it might be far from the last we see of these other characters. Like I could obviously... There's, there's obvious things they could do. Like, we could continue to see Lila in her role as head of Argus in a bunch sure. of the... Like, we saw her literally this week on The Flash. But they could take Wild Dog and move him over to Legends of Tomorrow. Yeah. Or they could move... I don't think they're going to, like, move Felicity over to Flash or something and have her be the new tech person or whatever. Like, right. you know, if Cisco mm -hmm. leaves the show and they move her... Like, I don't think they would do something that big, but I could see them taking some of those characters... And like they move Black Siren, like Black Siren was introduced on Flash. Like they can move Black Siren over to Flash yeah. and have her do stuff there. Like, so it won't be the end for all these characters. And of course, they said it's their intention. Like the CW president has said, it's it's his intention to let this universe continue 
for basically indefinitely. Like so long as so long as they have new ideas for shows and they have a, a good mix of of continuing shows that continue to to feel fresh and new, right? And new shows that they can bring in to replace shows that are maybe getting a little tired. Mm-hmm. There's no reason why this shared universe can't continue past you know season seven of Batwoman or whatever, and then we get like a Birds of Prey show and like mm-hmm. a Green Lantern show. Who knows? Like you know they can yeah, just yeah. continue and continue. So sure. ten years from now, these probably none of the shows we're currently watching will still be on the air, but we could be watching shows that are like the third or fourth generation removed from Arrow. And some of those actors and some of the crew and the writers might still be involved. And Stephen Amell could show up for like the 20th anniversary of the universe that he helped create, you know? Right. And who knows? I mean, that's certainly, I mean, look at the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Mm -hmm. It's been going for over 10 years now and there's no end in sight there. And I think that, you know, when, when that universe has been going for 20 or 25 years, I wouldn't put it past me to have, Robert Downey Jr., even if his character was gets killed off in Avengers Endgame or something, you have Robert Downey Jr. show up for, like, the 25th anniversary of the Marvel Cinematic Universe as some special dream sequence Force or ghost. whatever. Force like, ghost. Like, these, once you're part of a universe like this, it's like you see it all the time with, you know, actors, Dean Cain, Terry Hatcher, Helen Slater, Kevin Conroy. Like, once you're a part of this universe, it's like a family. And yeah. you, never, you never really leave. Like, even if you're not doing the cons and you're not doing the signings and you're not doing, like, voiceover work to mm-hmm. reprise the role. Like, you're, once you're a part of this family, then, like, 30 years from now. People don't forget. People don't forget. And people are going to want to see you on, on other shows. Like, if there's tw- 20 years from now, if there's, like, a new Green Arrow show, even if it's not part of the same continuity, people are going to be like, oh, you should get Stephen Amell to play yeah, yeah, Robert yeah. Queen or something. Because it just, it, it writes itself. Like, you sure. should get Adam West to play yeah. Thomas Wayne. You should get what she's done multiple mm-hmm. times. Like, mm-hmm. you should get, you know? So, but you're never you're never really out of this once you're in it. So And I think that he, he understands that, and I think that he appreciates that. I think that he is... He is 100% appreciative and grateful of the chances that he was given and the fans that he's mm-hmm. accumulated, yep. you know, and the, and the friends that he's made. And I think that, you know, I, I hope he has a a long, prosperous Prom- career. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So should we move on to our comics of the week? Yes, ready. What was your comic of the week? It was Dreaming Number 7. That's right. But I can't remember why. Why was it your comic of the week? <laughs> no, honestly, it was wonderful. I, hmm, We had a discussion off mic, but I'll repeat some of the finer points of it. Um, I really like the slow pace of this. Now, usually I don't go for this type of issue, and it surprised you at the time, and maybe even still does. No, I'm just kidding. Um, it. Uh, I usually don't go for the slow-paced... I call them artsy fartsy, <laughs> um, full of text, full of dialogue that doesn't really go anywhere. It's trying to be poetic, but to me it it fails and misses. But this was not that issue. This was poetic. This was meaningful, and there wasn't too much of it. Like it wasn't drip, dripping with similes and and alliterations and all those you know tacky things that poets get out of their system when they're teenagers. This was a really deep analysis of a person that we've never met who is discussing her life, um, introducing herself for those of us like myself who did not know who Rose was. This was an introduction to her, but sort of a reintroduction probably to people who have seen this character um, in... Who wrote? Who wrote the Sandman? Series? Neil Gaiman. Yeah, Neil Gaiman. There you go. <laughs> I was going to say it, but I didn't want to be, be dumb. Um, so they've seen 
this person before and she has a daughter named Ivy who she was discussing and her mom is dying of cancer which she was discussing and she's talking to someone that she found on a beach who we can recognize to be um, Lucian the librarian who somewhere went missing in the last previous issues of um, the dreaming so we saw that he was getting some reward and here he's sort of muttering incoherently and being part of the discussion but only, you know, fizzing in and out and doesn't have his full strength back and everything else and she seems to be comfortable just talking to him about her life um, and fiddling with things and and I just love the little moments too the nurse who offers her a tea and her response to it so she's clearly American and she says well you Brits have it right though, it's so good like it does make life better um just those little quiet moments, the the flicking of the Zippo lighter and 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 then the art as well, because her daughter is beautiful as an artist, but never tries, never lets herself get close to anything or anyone enough to be hurt because she's seen her mother fall in and out of love and just be devastated time and time again by failed relationships and opening her heart continuously to people that ultimately cause her pain. And she just doesn't want to make the same mistake as her mother. And so she closes herself off and she only opens herself up in a set up relationship between herself and who we recognize as Daniel from the um, from the dreaming. And then he um, he and she are in a relationship and she blossoms under this newfound connection with love and um, and the art. To represent all that and her tattoo artist's um, um, chops coming to life and being drawn so lovely on the page. And then ultimately, he it's just all of it came together for me so nicely. And I love the way that it's coming into a mysterious element where something has happened because she convinced him to let um, her tattoo him. And there's something that went wrong somebody interloped as it were and some poisoning happened of some kind and that sets up whatever's going on and the next issue and everything and makes us connected to the main story which we were diverted from when we were introduced to Rose in this issue in the first place like who who the heck is this person why are we taking a break from the story but it ties in so beautifully and it reconnects it's just a really well done issue and I had to pick it for my comic of the week Mm -hmm. very good what about you what'd you pick so I want to quickly give an honorable mention to Green Arrow number 50 because I thought yes. it was a good conclusion to the series and sort of the series that started with Green Arrow and Black Canary meeting each other for the first time and getting into a relationship and this one sort of, it doesn't do the thing that I was worried they were going to do, which is just completely blow up their relationship yeah. and they're sort of um, forced to be separated here, but they're still together, so to speak. Right. Um, and it really upends the status quo and there's a lot of, you know, beautiful art and the dialogue between them is really good, really revealing of their character. Um, the stakes are really high and it sort of spins the characters off into an interesting new direction, direction that we'll hopefully see soon in a new series. Um, but my comic of the week is Doomsday Clock number nine. Nice. Because I really, I mean, it's for it's been, I don't know how long it's been since the series started. A year, a year and a half I thought maybe. it was last November. Um, last November? No, mm-hmm. I mean, it's been at least eight months, right? Because it's been, this is issue number nine, so it's been at least eight months. Plus, most of those were bi-monthly. Hmm. So it's been probably a little over a year at least. Um, But this is what's been teased since the beginning, which is a big showdown between all the heroes and Dr. Manhattan. So we see all the heroes go to Mars in a a 
nice silent sequence where we see all the different teams broken up into different ships that are headed to Mars and they're all sort of quietly just waiting to get there. And there's a real sense of, of, um, what's the weight? Well, yeah, but but what's like ominosity is not a word. (laughs) Ominousness, um, about the whole thing. There's a, Mm -hmm. there's a pall hanging over the whole thing because the characters realize the import of what's about to happen. Like this is someone who's responsible for an incident that, that, um, completely changed the way the world looks at uh, superheroes mm-hmm. branded several of them criminals put superman in a coma yep. and this is just something that he did without even showing his face with a single act and you know and a, a, i mean this is taking place a year in the future so we don't know everything's going to happen between now and then but i'm assuming that people like like flash is on one of those ships i'm assuming people like he and batman or i'm batman's back in the bat cave and so he's it seems like he's put a lot more together than the rest of them have because mm-hmm. he's got rorschach's journal and everything he's trying to frantically contact them and relay some information but flash is right there so i'm assuming that some of them are starting to put the pieces together as far as like maybe this is the guy that's been pulling strings for the past few years and Mm -hmm. and all that stuff so they realize the importance of what's about to happen they show up and there's a big showdown everybody from the justice league to the titans and the teen titans and the marvel family is there or the shazam family or whatever we're calling them now the doom patrol um there's a bunch of really nice character moments like uh i'm not sure if we're supposed to call her mary marvel or mary shazam what or what now but dr manhattan comes out with his nakedness and mary's like mary like co- mm-hmm. covers darla's eyes she's like don't look darla you know mm-hmm. yeah. um <laughs> guy gardner goes off on him it seems like he's got a bit of a weakness to the lantern rings maybe mm-hmm. um because it's something that's maybe a little outside of his control but he basically decimates them all and then we we keep we cut keep cutting back to earth superman's in a coma lois is there lex luther comes in and he's got some important information mm-hmm. to share about seemingly about the missing years and their missing memories um there's an interesting thread throughout about dr manhattan sort of singling firestorm out for a conversation um and revealing to him that professor stein knowingly caused the accident that fused yep. him into firestorm he's like secretly a government agent that was a, that was a tasked with infiltrating the superhero mm-hmm. community so, and we don't quite know whether he had, like, had a change of heart and really became a good guy or whether he's been sort of secretly tricking right. everybody all along. Um, so that's an interesting revelation. So Firestorm is sort of the audience POV character for the whole thing. And like I said, there's a sequence of Batman waking up and realizing he needs to relay some information vitally that um, that he can't quite do yet. And then we get, we cut to Ozymandias, who's also, like, doing something on a computer. Like, he's pulling strings somehow, too. Maybe he was responsible for preventing Batman's transmission reaching mars because he's sitting at a computer and he's pressing some buttons maybe he was responsible for that um wonder woman at the end goes before the un to try to try to quell the tensions mm-hmm. but the place gets attacked by black adam and a bunch of other um, super villains taking advantage of the fact that all the heroes are are off the planet mm-hmm. so things are really things are really popping now and i mean the art by gary frank is is wonderful and jeff johns has a, has a bunch of like nice little character moments in there and this you know the tension's really ratcheting up so and and I, I especially like the I like the sequence too at the beginning where he's talking about how he you know he moved the lantern just a few inches from Alan Scott's grasp in 1940 or 1941 or whenever it was and it caused this whole sequence of events that leads to you know all the way into the 31st century where you know Pharaoh Lad was supposed to sacrifice himself to save Earth's sun and stop the sun eater but mm-hmm. none of that happens without mm-hmm. you know because of the chain of events that he set in motion no justice society apparently means no legion and so. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, he's trying to tinker with the timeline to prevent what's supposed to happen about a week from now where Superman comes at him and he can't see any future for himself or for mm-hmm. anything past that. He doesn't know whether it's because Superman kills him or whether it's because the world ends at that point or whatever. But he's trying to prevent that by messing with everybody's timelines. 
hence everything that's going on. But whatever he does just seems like it, it either doesn't avert that or it makes things worse. Mm-hmm. Like, does it really matter from a quantum perspective whether the world is destroyed now or whether it happens in the 31st century because there's no legion? Like, he, he can't, it seems like he can't quite thread that needle, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and our guys aren't obviously oblivious to most, if not all of this. And so they're just attacking him as if he's some, some supervillain. So I wonder how this whole thing is going to resolve. Are they really going to like defeat him or vanquish him or imprison him or something? Mm-hmm. Or will they come to some understanding and he'll fix what he did and go back to his own universe? I don't know, but it'll be interesting to see. There's only three issues left and they promise, you know, ever increasing revelations about, I mean, cause Lex Luthor comes in, he's like, do you, says to Lois Lane, you know, have you ever heard the name Wally West? And I'm like, I want to see more of that scene. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> come on. Um, but no, we've got to wait two months for that. So, and I think I heard it was even further delayed by a couple of weeks. So it'll probably be more like 10 weeks instead of Uh, two months or something. So anyway, I'm really enjoying it, but I I just wish it was coming out faster because I forget. I think we've said this before. Like I forget about it. And then when I see it on the new releases list for that Mm -hmm. week, I'm like, oh, what a pleasant surprise. Doomsday clock. Like I, I completely goes off my radar. I'm not like counting the weeks till the next issue. It's just like, there's no predicting it. So it's going to come out when it's going to come out, but I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, me too. Um, so you ready for your pub quiz? Ready. So this is less of a quiz and more of a return to the ranking thing that we've, All that right. we've been doing. Ranking or rating? Ranking. Okay. Ranking or rating? Um, so I thought this week we would rank, um, Star Trek series finales. Ooh. So there's been five Star Trek series finales so far, not counting the animated series, which we haven't seen. Mm-hmm. So I thought we would rank them. Okay. Okay. So in order, these are turnabout, and if you forget what happened, I mean, I'm assuming that most of the modern ones, you remember how the series ended, I'm hoping. Um, TOS is probably the most forgettable one, just because it was It just, was like it was, another one-off um, episode. Just a random episode. Wasn't that the one where uh, he was, he, he was, um, where Kirk was a woman? Yeah, he body swapped with a mm-hmm. with a woman who w- who went crazy because His they wouldn't they wouldn't also. let a yeah. woman become a captain, and so she took over Kirk's body and was sort of vamping around the place. And mm-hmm. that, so that was turned about Intruder. That was the final episode of TOS. Yeah. It's kind of unfair to put that in there because it was never intended to be. No, was, yeah. I mean, if you wanted to be if you wanted to be um, fair about it, you'd probably say like Star Trek Six: The Undiscovered Country was kind of like the finale for the original series, you know, mm-hmm. like the final original cast movie, but. I'm not putting Star Trek Nemesis in the list for next gen, so it's it's going to be what it's going to be. Funny. So Turnabout Intruder for TOS, All Good Things, of course, for TNG, uh, What You Leave Behind for Deep Space Nine. The names probably don't mean anything to you. They're not important. You just remember how the series ended. Endgame for Voyager, and these are the voyages for Enterprise. Are there any there that you don't remember? How, hopefully you remember how the series ended. <laughs> All Good um, Things, of course, is the one where Picard is bump, um, bopping back and forth between three different timelines, past, present, and future. Right. Uh, Q is there sort of teasing him the whole time. There's this cosmic mystery he has to solve about this anomaly mm-hmm. and so on. Um, what you leave behind is, of course, the Deep Space Nine finale where the Dominion War ends and Cisco meets his destiny and all the characters, you know, go off and wherever right. they're going to go off. Vo- um, Endgame Voyager, spo- spoilers for these series, obviously. Endgame for Voyager is the one where they have their big final confrontation with the Borg Queen and get home at the end. Mm-hmm. And then these are the Voyages for, Enter- for Enterprises, the controversial episode where it's a holodeck simulation that Riker is yeah. running mm-hmm. years, well, running in the 24th century, I guess, depending how you look at it. But from the perspective of the Enterprise characters, these are events years past the rest of the series. Mm-hmm. The returning home for the decommissioning of the NX-01 and the signing of the uh, original Federation Charter. And it's right. you know, the final thing for those characters. So those are the five. Okay, so... so- Probably probably easier to start with your least favorite, I would think. Nope, I've no? actually got it in, in order of... Oh, I, do you I, want me to for drama? Well, can I, can I guess what your ranking is going to be? <laughs> yes, you can guess. I think your favorite is going to be the Deep Space Nine finale, followed by 
It's, it's funny because everybody everybody uh, thinks that All Good Things is a classic, but you didn't seem like you were as hot on it as I thought you were going to be. So I'm going to say um, Deep Space Nine, then Voyager, then Next Gen, then Enterprise, then TOS. That's exactly correct. Okay. Yes. I, so that's that. <laughs> you realize it's heresy, of course, that you're putting yeah, any Voyager episode over All Good Things, which is like one of the, one of the all-time classic TV series finales I, of all time. I don't know. I guess it's just my perspective. I think you just need to see it again to realize how wrong you are. (laughs) But no, I think you just need to see it again because I think you were expecting maybe more of like a traditional linear story, uh, story, whereas it was really just more of like, oh, let's, it was, it was, it's sort of a love letter to the fans. Like, let's go back and see the characters as they were at the beginning of the series where Tashi Yar was there and, and Data wouldn't shut up and they had no chief engineer and O'Brien was wearing his red shirt at the helm. And, and let's go forward to the future and see what might happen to these characters. Everybody's old and the Enterprise is a third in a cell for some reason. And you know what I mean? It's, the, it's, it's just an excuse to have fun with these characters in a bunch of different situations. And the, the actual plot of the episode, the weird anomaly is intentionally in the intentionally by you know by the way it's written and by the nature of what it is doesn't make a ton of sense and isn't really explicable it's just you know because it's it exists outside of time and the whole thing is that q is trying to get picard to think non-linearly you know um right because in order that's, to solve that's that the next front that's the next frontier for humanity or so he he implies to picard is not exploring space but exploring the possibilities of the human mind and perception and so on like that so it's i mean but all that part is not really important it like it doesn't even matter what the anomaly is about and the logistics of the plot it's just an excuse to see these beloved characters you know Mm -hmm. to see these beloved characters and you know the way we first met them the way they are now to send them off and and uh, are you trying to sell me on the idea of upping my ranking no, it's it is what it, I just I just think that maybe you were because I did hype it up to you. You perhaps did hype it up. I was, I was going like, oh, to this say this one of the best TV series finales of all yeah. time. Um, and but I mean the the final scene. I I will for my money that is the best final scene in any. I mean I do I, as much hate as the Battlestar Galactica series finale gets to. I I love the final shots in that too. But the you can't there's there, there was no better way to end next gen than Picard. Sitting down, going to tear up just talking about Picard sitting down at that poker table mm-hmm. for the first time with all of his friends and Aww. saying, I should have done this a long time ago Aww. and dealing the cards and the camera slowly panning up outside the ship, mm-hmm. outside the view, the, the, you know, the window, whatever, and up as the Enterprise flies off to more adventures. Like Picard joining that, yeah. joining the others, at, you know, at the and, table and in the sort game. of opening up a little bit more mm-hmm. than he had because of what he's learned, sort of like the Christmas Carol thing, you know, like he saw the past, present and future and now he's going to try to make things a little better yeah. um that was the best way to end that show and it almost feels like i know they didn't plan that from the beginning but the way that they you know a few seasons in they introduced the poker game and then mm-hmm. gradually more and more characters are playing the poker game yep. and then to have the final shot be picard finally joining the other six yeah like there, there was no better way to end that show which was always you know always about the, the star trek shows are just sort of an excuse to hang out with the characters sure. and sort of feel like a family especially next gen was because there was no overarching plot mm-hmm. you know so that was the perfect way to end that. But yeah, so so those are your rankings. Do you feel like you you want to like explain or justify any of them? Um, well, I mean, I I loved obviously. I what, mean, it what goes was it you like so much about the, well? What was it you like so much about the the voyage? I think that the I think that what you leave behind is the first one, and these are the voyages and turnabout intruder at the bottom kind of speak for themselves. Sure. Why would you why why Voyager so high though? I liked it too as a finale, but Voyager is you know 
divisive among fans because they feel like, you know, a lot of missed opportunities, well, not a ton of character development. True. You know. For the flaws in the show, the at least the finale was tight. It was nice. It, it wrapped up everything. It, um, it tried to pay attention to all of the characters and give them... Um, give them a familial, like the same thing you just said, like it's all about family and the entire family was on this journey together and they earned their their reward of actually making it home. And after following these characters for so long and setback after setback and small victory after small victory, it was really nice and cathartic to see it get wrapped up in the happy ending that we were hoping for, for those characters that we spent years following. I feel like there's a there's a couple of knocks against it. One, they, they couldn't help themselves but kind of aping all good things by showing a possible future of the characters older, which I feel like mm. can't help but feel like them sort of cribbing from all good things a little bit. Well, I mean, Like Deep Space Nine didn't of, feel the need to well, do that. don't see... I mean, that's just a storytelling choice, right? There yeah. are so many books and, and stories and films that have an epilogue after a great sort of epic But it wasn't an epilogue. It was, the, it, it was like all good things. No, and I know, it was a but... thread that ran throughout the whole thing. This is a possible future that one of the characters is trying to avoid by changing things in the present. Right. It was it was not the same plot, but there was enough there that there's only been a, there had only been like three series, Star Trek series finales by that point, and to to to, to repeat one of the main plot threads of fair... one of the, of the most famous of them felt a little cheap to me. I I, I enjoy those scenes, but I'm kind of like like so much of Voyager, I feel like it's trying to sort of just do be next gen, be just be more next gen, mm-hmm. despite the fact that the premise is fighting to not be that. They right. couldn't help themselves, but just doing more sort of next geny type plots. Well, I mean, they were writing about an isolated sort of. I know, but as, as we've structure. talked about before, like the fact that they were isolated and had so few resources really didn't. They they didn't play that up. Like, you know, the whole, whole mm, Ron Moore yeah, yeah, critique yeah. of the show like that he did with Battlestar Galactica, which is like, this is what it should be like. You know, mm-hmm. the sh- ship should be falling apart. People should be at each other's throats after a while. Is that a Star Trek show? Maybe not. But you don't create that premise and then not follow through in it. Mm-hmm. That's just being unfair to the, the viewers, you know? Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's debatable. The other thing about, the, about, Voyage, the, about Endgame is that, and I've seen the writers say this too, is that maybe if they'd gone back and done it differently, they would have had them get home either earlier in the episode or maybe not in the final episode mm. so that they could show a little bit of like what them it's like for them to, what it's yeah, like for them to come be home cool. because we've been waiting like seven years to see them get home. And yeah, we see them like we see Voyager enter Earth orbit, mm-hmm. but it's not, that's not kind of what we wanted. You know, we right. wanted to see like, oh, them reunited with their families or not, you know, like mm-hmm. there's a lot of interesting stories there. Like yeah. what if they get home in the middle of season seven and then the rest of it is... Right. Reacclimating, and then maybe they have to warn Earth of some Borg plot, and so the Borg come to Earth, and Voyager is the only one that can defend. Like they could have mm-hmm. done something that could have had a similar ending with the Borg if they'd wanted, but still could have shown them, you know, because they get home. What happens to the Maquis who have now been integrated into the Starfleet crew? Are they granted blanket amnesty? Are they granted? Are they allowed mm-hmm. to continue with their Starfleet field commissions? Are they? What about their interpersonal relationships? Yeah, Those like, who do had they get, do they home all, does, does on the crew Earth. all get reassigned? Because some because yeah. they're all veterans now of mm-hmm. of deep space assignments. They're not all going to get to stick together on the yeah, ship. Yeah. What about Tom Paris serving out the rest of his sentence, or Harry yeah. Kim um, and his fiance? There's so like, many so many things. stories that they could have told. That I'm sure the books have told all these stories, sure. but nobody reads the books. So I mean, I, I feel know. like I feel like it was missed opportunity. And and thematically, the idea of like the whole thing from the beginning was Janeway made a decision to prioritize. Saving the Ocampa over, mm-hmm. as, over the well-being over the well, of their... Well, I mean, they weren't in imminent danger, right. but over the over the safe return, the the immediate safe return of her right. crew to yes. the Alpha Quadrant. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what they tried to do with the finale was say, okay, 
future Admiral Janeway comes back and says, guess what? You do make it home, but it takes you like another decade and you're going to lose a third of your crew. Knowing mm-hmm. that, would you now make a more selfish choice now, which is what I'm offering you, right? I can get you home today, right. but it's going requi- to require basically breaking the prime directive because you've got to listen to what I have to say about the future. You've got to like stage a preemptive attack on the board. You've got to do all this other stuff, right? And the fact that what they tried to do is they tried to have her have it both ways where she's like she didn't compromise her ethics but she still got them home because she pulled a really clever move at the end Mm -hmm. but i feel like that's a bit of a cheat like either either have her say i made that choice seven years ago and it was unpopular but i would make the same choice again and have the and have it but that would be unfulfilling because we do want to see them get home so if she makes the same choice and they don't get home and they're like well i guess we're in for another 40 years yeah then we feel unfulfilled if she compromises her ethics and gets them home that's interesting. Mm-hmm. But you can't have that be the finale. Again, that would have to be like halfway through the season and you'd need to follow up on that with more episodes. Yep. But they tried to have it both ways where it's like she listens to information from the future. She uses technology from the future, which she's not supposed to do. Um, she fights the Borg, but she's just smart enough to like outsmart the Borg, deal a crippling blow to the Borg and get everybody home safe and sound. And it felt a little too pat. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. So I don't know. There's stuff about it that I'm not crazy about. I think that I think that like so much of Voyager, while I while I love Voyager and I I like the characters and so much about it, I feel like it kind of took the safe route, even in the end, in the same way that it took the safe route so many times throughout mm-hmm. its run. So I wouldn't put that as high. I think for me, God, I mean, nostalgia. Is I can always... I can do your ranking. I know that the know. bottom two the bottom two are the same. You would put I think you would put you next know what's gen funny? on the top. Okay, all right. You t- you tell me what I think I'm going to what you think I'm going to I say. think you would rank next gen, then Deep Space 9, then Voyager, then Enterprise and then of course TOS. It's funny because I don't know. I think I think like it's always hard for me with TNG and DS9, Deep Space 9 because I do think Deep Space 9 is a better show like critically, objectively, yeah. but it's so hard for me to not have TNG as my sentimental favorite because that show was so formative for me growing up. And I think as a finale, I think that, that I do think that as a finale that that all good things kind of works better than the Deep Space Nine finale because the Deep Space Nine finale tried to do so many things and it succeeded in a lot of them. But I do think like they, they did make some some odd decisions. Like the whole thing about Cisco, I mean, thematically it works. The fact that Cisco has to go fight Dukat one last time as like this epic, almost biblical conflict. Mm-hmm. And then he gets consumed by the fire or whatever, and he can't return home and he goes to live with the prophets or whatever. Like thematically, that's like a proper conclusion for his journey. But the way it was, the way it was constructed in the episode, it happens so quickly at the end. Like with, cause everybody's celebrating the end of the war at Vix. You've got like, there's literally 10 minutes left in the episode. And then mm-hmm. he gets like some premonition. He goes to Bajor, he fights Dukat, and two minutes later he's dead. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you've got a two-hour finale. Like yeah. you could have you could have shortened the war stuff a little bit and lengthened that a little bit. So that kind of leaves a sour taste in my mouth because that just seems like almost perfunctory. Like, oh, we gotta get Cisco to this point, you know? Yeah. So, the, so I don't know. Like that sort of that sort of No, uh, I don't know. It worked for me because it was a subversion of expectations. We were lulled into a false sense of security. I like it. I I like it as an ending for him. I just felt like they could have executed it. A little, a little bit. You're better angry than that. about the subversion of expectations. Is what's happening. You're, no. you're, you're a little disappointed in it. It's, no, it's I, like oh, everything was going fine. No, and then... I don't, I don't have an issue with with the sequence of events or or with anything that happened with the with the you know logistics of anything happened or whatever. I just felt like I would have paced it a little differently because 
I mean, yes, it is subverting expectations to have the character shockingly die in the last five minutes of yeah. the episode, but you can subvert expectations and be poorly paced. Both of those things can be true. And for me, it kind of that kind of fell apart a little bit mm. at the end. But there's so much of that finale that I love. The characters all saying goodbye to one another. The sort of musical... I'm I'm a sucker for a good like um, montage mm-hmm. of, in the final episode. Like, mm-hmm. oh, here's here's our beloved characters, you know, showing like all the <laughs> moments that they that they experience. Like, we get to see we get to relive the whole history of like the O'Brien Bashir friendship, yeah, and and like watch Jake grow up from like mm-hmm. the little kid he was in the in the, in the, first, in the episode, first episode yeah. to like the 19 year old he was at the end or whatever. And the final shot of Jake looking out the window, mm-hmm. looking towards the wormhole yeah. for his father as the camera slowly pulls back from the station, yeah. which mirrors. The, the the shot at the end of the teaser from the first episode where the camera slowly pushes in mm-hmm. from Jake and Cisco looking at the station mm-hmm. from a shuttle slowly towards the station right. sort of like we we go out like the writer said in like the writer said it's like we we were going out on the same road we came in on mm-hmm. you know to this outpost in the middle of nowhere um there's so much about that I love but I do think that all good things succeeds in what it the Deep Space Nine finale is more ambitious and tries to do a lot more and is probably has a lot more good stuff in it. But I think that for that all good things succeeds at what it's trying to do more than what you leave behind succeeded in what it was trying to do. Although what it was trying to do was far more ambitious. So mm-hmm. maybe that's unfair. So I would say all good things than what you leave behind. I don't know. I know that the Enterprise finale gets a lot of hate, but there's there's a lot of stuff in there that I like actually. Yeah. Like I don't they, even the writers have sort of recanted and said, yeah, that was terrible. That was a slap in the face to the fans by mm-hmm. kind of making our final episode like this weird next-gen side story yeah, almost. Yeah. And I can see that. But as someone who loves next-gen, yeah. I'm not I'm like, was happy Pegasus to see was a great episode. And here's Riker and Troy again. Like, I, I get why people hate it. But at least it was trying something different. Mm-hmm. You know, like, at least let's jump forward and see what these characters are like later. And why don't we just, like, have talk about subversion of expectations. You have Trip sacrifice himself completely out of nowhere, yep. arguably unnecessarily. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just because he was so, so desperate to make sure that Archer got back to Earth for the signing and everything. Like... I don't know. It it probably falls on its face in a lot of ways, but it, but at least it was at least it was trying something surprising. Whereas yeah. I felt like the Voyager finale was just like, all right, let's kind of do what Next Gen did, and also the Borg. You know. Mm-hmm. So for me, that I might Borg. I might actually put Enterprise above Voyager. Ooh. Um, and then for effort points for effort. Yeah, and then then the TOS at the bottom, not because that was a particularly bad episode, although it definitely wasn't great, but it's it's almost it unfair. It's almost unfair it's, to yeah. include it. I mean, if you include like the original series movies as the true finale for that cast, then that would be that would be a much harder. We should maybe that'll be a future show. We can rank the movies or something. But <laughs> I mean, there's so much good stuff. I in mean, the-, the correct answers is um, three, six, three. No, you're misremembering. Two. You're putting search what for Spock two, above two six two four six, or is it four? Well, two, people six? say that the even number ones are the yeah. best. But we can we can maybe that'll two, be four, a, six, five, let's three, not, two, let's, one. Let's not let's let's not spoil it because we're probably gonna rank them in a future one. But yeah, I think that would be it. So so I think that the yeah so uh, it's, we differ a little bit, don't we? I mean, our bottom two are the same, although mm-hmm. flipped. Mm-hmm. No, because I, I had Enterprise. No, you at had three. TOS yeah. at the bottom. Yeah. yeah, TOS at the bottom. But yeah, you you would put uh, Voyager over. It's funny because Voyager is like number four for me, and it's number two for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not that it's not that I don't I I, I love different things about each of those except maybe yeah. Turnabout Intruder, which is nobody's favorite. I think TOS everything episode. also has to do with where we were in life when we saw these shows. Yeah, like I was. I think that's a huge influence. Eleven when Next yeah. Gen ended, something like it that. Was, eleven, like or 12. you said, it was formative to your 
upbringing and and that's mind that's mind blowing when yeah. you're a kid you're like a two hour finale oh you're gonna see everybody in the future yeah and yeah. like and we're gonna go back to the like these days you see like how many like arrow has made a sure has made an entire <laughs> structural conceit around flashing back to earlier stuff and flashing yeah, forward yeah, yeah. to future stuff you mm-hmm. know what i mean but yeah. at the time it's like i've never seen it because when you like i'm watching cheers or whatever right and then i'm flipping over to this and it's like wow it's you know yeah and it it is what you like. It it is a love letter to the fans in the way that the others weren't really because mm-hmm. they were trying to do so much, wrap so much up plot wise. All good things isn't trying to do anything really plot wise. It's just an excuse to hang out with a bunch of different versions of these characters for right. two hours, you know. And yeah. I feel like it really nails what it's trying to do. So anyway, um, so should we talk about our shows? Yes. So we got a bunch of shows. Star Wars Resistance. I don't know. Do we have time to talk about? Well, our shows? We'll, we'll be brief about some of them. Okay. Star Wars Resistance, Star Trek Discovery, Gotham, Supergirl, Flash, Black Lightning, Arrow, Doom Patrol. So Star Wars Resistance is part one of the finale. Spoilers, I mean, by the way. really the only thing to talk about here is the fact that, I guess we could talk about Taurus some more, who's quickly becoming my most frustrating, <laughs> frustrating character. Oh, I know. It's a frustrating you know, these situation. These I'm they... so bad. They're giving me a hot meal. It's like, how easy is it to buy your yeah. loyalty? Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, I mean, the big thing at the end, of course, is that we see the we see a projection of General Hux's um, speech from Starkiller Base from The Force Awakens. And yeah. we see the destruction of the Hosnian system, and of course, which we all knew was going to happen from mm-hmm. the time when they released the first plot synopsis for the series, you yeah. know, like a year ago, whenever it was. And Kaz said, I'm from Hosnian Prime. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah. I mean, you can really <laughs> tell it was written for kids because they really multiple times mm-hmm. said, remember, that's the name of the planet he's from. And then even after it blew up, even after he was like... CP23, what planet what was that? Hosnian Prime. That? And then he goes on to say, like, my parents, my home. Like, yes, yeah, we yeah. get, like, I understand, yes, you might say that in reality. But I think they just kept, you know, they kept reinforcing for the kids out there, like, remember, this is where he's from. He loves people that are on that planet, you know? Um, I don't know. It felt like it felt like they just they hit it kids too many times. Kids have a better memory than we do. Is that necessary? I'm just well, wondering. Well, maybe the people that are writing kids' shows just think that they can't remember things. Yeah. I don't know. Um, oh, so, I hate but, it when writers underestimate kids. It does, I hate it. It does feel like now the show is really, I mean, <laughs> like 21 episodes in or whatever, but I, and I've been enjoying the show, but now is the part of the, now is the part that, you know, when are we going to get when are we going to get to the fireworks factory kind yeah. of thing? Like, this is the part that I'm excited about because now what's going to happen? Are the characters all going to join the resistance? Mm-hmm. Are we going to get to see a lot more of like Leia and Poe and maybe even a little bit of Finn and Rey? Here's or, my is question. Is the show, because this is the other thing, and I was going to talk, we were going to talk to you about this before, but then I'm like, well, we just wait for the show. But The Last Jedi picks up right when The Force Awakens ends, literally with like Rey handing Luke his lightsaber. Yes. And the entirety of The Last Jedi takes place basically over the course of one very slow space pursuit, right? A couple of days, three, four days, maybe. It seems like Ray is yeah, with Luke on right. Octo for longer than mm-hmm. that, but the space pursuit must have only been a few days. So maybe like a week at the outside, right? I so, think they even specified that it was four days that they were traveling. Yeah, it just much like with Luke... Um, Luke with Yoda on Dagobah, it seems yeah. like that part of the story takes way more time than what the other characters are experiencing. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's like the Force is warping time or whatever, but <laughs> whatever. Anyway... If season two picks up and like during or slightly after the events of The Force Awakens, it is not going to take them very long to blow past The Last Jedi, where now the, all, pretty much the entire core resistance is gone, except for the handful of people that Leia and Rey and Poe and Finn managed to load aboard the Falcon and flee from Crate, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, with Luke sacrificing yep. himself and everything. So we're very shortly, and like, can they get a whole season out of that week? Probably not. We're very shortly going to start to 
experience new content that takes place after The Last Jedi. And mm-hmm. so that's going to be really interesting. Like, how does the Resistance rebuild from that? Do they meet up with other Resistance cells outside of whatever? Are we going to get to, I was like, Ray and Finn and Leia going to become more frequent characters with their, obviously not Carrie Fisher, but with Ray, you know, that mm-hmm. Daisy Ridley can come in and do some voices in a few episodes and stuff. Like, that's that's cool stuff. And yeah. to see, like, Kaz interact with these characters. I mean, people keep making the analogy with Rebels, and it really holds, is that the first season was sort of them in this one place operating by themselves. But then at the end of season one, they met up with the larger resistance. They met up with Ahsoka. They started doing more. And then by the end of the show, they were, like, big heroes of the Rebellion. They right. practically helped. They practically founded the Rebellion. You I know, mean, these you characters. have General Syndulla, so come on. Right. So are we going to get to the same place where these characters were sort of like the side characters mm-hmm. but as, as of season two they're going to start inter- intermingling more with the main cast and then as i've heard people speculate maybe we get to episode nine and there's a shot of like the fireball flying around you know oh, or even Much the space like, station no yeah. i would i would bet that the space, <laughs> space station, station flies into battle with a few x yeah why not that might be a I, it depends on how how big the fleet is by that point it might be a little comical with this huge space station yeah. flying it was like water still dripping off it like <laughs> we're here guys we're here to help but no like kind of like how the ghost was in um yeah rogue one yeah, right yeah, if yeah. you knew where to look for mm-hmm. they could kind of do something and you heard about you know Hera's name over the common chopper mm-hmm. was there in the background mm-hmm. at yavin 4 they could do something similar here um they could even have some of the actors from the show who in many cases resemble their characters, even if the ages don't always quite line up, they could have them play the live-action versions yeah, in the movie. Cool. And it's just like a little cameo. Like, obviously, you don't want to belabor it, but if, like, you know how they always mm-hmm. do the thing with the big space battle, it cuts to a bunch sure, of sure, different sure. pilots in their cockpits. Yeah, yeah. If one of them is the guy that voices Yeager or mm-hmm. something, you know, because he looks basically like Or live-action Niku. <gasps> yeah, they could get yeah, the sure actor in, some, in mm-hmm. some costume, or they could do it CG. Yeah, they could do something like that, and it'd be a fun thing. But, I mean, we're going to kind of get, that's going to be a real possibility as we get further, because these are going to be filling in new stories mm-hmm. as we get closer to episode nine. Although, I guess it depends, because, I mean, the show, the, the season is ending now. The next season probably start in the fall. And then episode nine comes out in December. Mm. So episode nine is going to fall in like the middle of the season. So yeah, they could do some stuff kind of like how Rebels was setting up the movies that were coming out around the same time. Like Rogue oh, One. I'm sure they've planned yeah, this. Yeah, they planned it. Yeah, it'll be interesting There's no to see. joke. There's no stone left unturned. But yeah, um, I, I also enjoyed this show and I really appreciated that um, that scene where they got to see what's happening on the outside world because one thing that they didn't really harp on is that when... Under an occupation like this, media is tightly controlled. So my thinking is that they're not going to know. All of the people that are going to be fighting in resistance are not going to have the information that, hey, guess what the rebel, the, uh, the, uh, First Order just did. Well, you not know, they at blew first, but I mean, if, if, I know, if, it'll disseminate if all the eventually, predictions but... are right and they get this and they, 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 they somehow fight off the First Order and they launch the Colossus off of right. the name of the planet whose name I can't remember. And they, they go out, they fly off as a big space station to join the Resistance. Mm-hmm. They're pretty, like, it's not like... No, by then, that'll be fine. But I'm talking about the immediate fights that are, are going to happen in this the next sure, episode after a, this. Yes, in this I next think episode. That, but I think that, the, yeah. to, to answer, the, the there there was a Star Wars Explained guy. What's his name? I don't know. Uh, um, I one, said Matt Damon. That's not right. Um, Alex Damon. That's oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> Well, one thing that he said, and I'm sure other people have said the same Matt thing, Damon is that knows the Star Wars. Is that Tam, um, um, Tam, um, uh, shouldn't make her decision based on the fact that she knows that the the First Order clearly blew up some state. Like that 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 would influence her decision. Like, hey, guess what? The people that you've been rolling with, guess what they just did? They caused yeah. billions and billions of I lives agree. and closed and closed off. Um, um, I mean, and and killed 
three, four planets or however, the, an entire system of planets, and uh, murder everybody just heartlessly just to establish control and, and, and fear. And I mean, that, that's an obvious... That's an obvious choice to make. But if she goes on in ignorance, in blissful ignorance, and then chooses to re realign with her friends and choose to forgive them for not filling her in on stuff that logically, like, she wouldn't have been receptive to at the time anyway, if she gets over her naivete without the full uh, stack of information, just going on her gut feeling and ch chooses to side with good based on that that would be a really powerful moment for her character but who knows maybe she might not and then what happens after she finds out what the first order did that would be a pretty complicated thing to to complex um story to to tell yeah it'd be interesting to have her like do the clark and lex thing where one of them goes off and becomes a hero and the other goes off and becomes a villain you know but i, I don't know I don't how somebody that good that looking for good and that supportive of good could say hey they, but she they doesn't blew think up some planets. She, well, that's that's the thing. Like at I'm this gonna point, stay with at this guys. point, I could see her staying with them because they're offering her like Correct. career advancement. She, she, stuff. Again, but there's she only know. so long that, that they can keep from her that they just blew up the entire new republic. Is what I'm saying. It's not like they're going to keep it a secret because this is going to be their new rallying cry, right? right? So it's not like the, their pilots are going to be unaware right. of what just happened. So yeah, that's not going to that couldn't last. No. Um, so Star Trek Discovery. This was a really this was a really good episode. This one's called If Memory Serves. So mm. this is the big return to Talos Four, mm -hmm. which we of course know from. The Cage, the original unaired pilot for the original series. We know series. it from the unaired pilot, but they were very the judicious. Exactly. They were judicious to show stuff from the menagerie, which is what aired, right? Well, they showed... What do you mean they, sh what do you mean they showed stuff? You mean in the, the scenes the that they showed in the preview, in well, the very the opening scenes. scenes. I don't think that... No, I know they are, but I'm telling you that they did not show something that was just from the cage. They showed it from the menagerie. Hmm... That could be true, but I think that I think that they worked in pretty much all the footage from the cage into the menagerie because they that was the whole obviously yeah. not all of the footage no because there was a whole segment where um he uh, there's a big difference at the end of it where he runs off with uh, what was it oh sure well they end kind of different like they make the menagerie end different because they're using the footage of him staying on Talos Four with Fina right exactly they yeah. changed that element of it that's a pretty big big difference but um. But they didn't use all of the footage from the the cage. Well, e they used a way, good deal of it. Either way, it it's, either way, it's footage from the cage that they reused once and then are now re reusing again. So whether right. they reused it from the reuse or whether they took it from the original source doesn't really matter. No, that's irrelevant. But I'm okay. I'm making a point, but it's not landing. Um, I'm saying that it doesn't matter about the unaired pilot because not everybody has seen the unaired pilot. But most TOS fans who have seen the whole TOS thing at that aired would be familiar with this footage as well because yes although i think by this point i mean i know that i know that the original series is, pro is probably still running in syndication on like sci-fi or whatever like that but i think that the majority of people that are that are experiencing the original series for the first time now are probably watching it like on netflix or uh -huh. on dvd or whatever where the cage is included oh, as okay. the first episode so it's not like it's uh, some unreleased thing it is now officially part of like every official release they oh. include it for completeness's sake oh so i think people okay. that are watching that. and watching the original series now experience it like the way we watched it with that first as some like a weird anomaly almost mm -hmm. and then the rest of it later okay I didn't um, know that. but i loved i love the um previously on star trek yeah thing where they showed the footage and I, I do agree with something I, I heard said, which is that they weren't really a fan of the way it was edited with like like the different images kind of like overlapping in an artsy way. And then do you remember the way oh, it was I done? I like it. I would have rather they played it like a normal recap as if, oh, what do you mean? This is a, this is a just, this is an old episode. Of, this is a previous episode of Star Trek. And now we're going to go, like the way it was edited almost like, like a fever dream. 
Um, I don't think you needed to do that. Like, I would have rather they play it straight. I think that's a, that's an artistic choice. I don't know. I, I liked it. I thought it I, was cool. I mean, it kind of works, I guess, because the whole thing was like almost a weird acid trip for Pike. So I, I can, you know what Maybe, I mean? Yeah. So, so I can kind of see why they did it that way. But the analogy I, I, I heard is that Doctor Who did something very similar recently in Peter Capaldi's final episode where they were like previously on Doctor Who 500 episodes ago. And they showed like the first Doctor adventure oh. that Capaldi's last episode sort of took place in the middle of. Do you remember? And they inserted... Um, the new actor for the first Doctor into into the, do you remember the way they did this? They had footage mm-hmm. from yes the the I original do. with the, the snow and the Cyberman or whatever, yep. and then they had David Bradley mm-hmm. you know reshoot some of those scenes so it segued into the new stuff with Capaldi yeah. right. So they kind of recapped you know like previously on but Doctor it was Who, so cool is an episode from fifty five years ago sure. you know and so they kind of did something similar here and then the way they transitioned from um, blanking on the name of the original actor for Pike oh oh um oh. <sighs> It'll come to me in a second. But the way they transitioned from a shot... Something with a J. Jefferson... Hunter, Jeffrey Hunter. I was like, Je- Bradley Jeffrey Cooper? Hunter. No, yeah, Jeffrey okay. Hunter. <laughs> um, the way they transitioned from a shot of, of um, Jeffrey Hunter to Anson Mount. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, they don't look... No, that was right for me. They don't look super was... close enough, but the way they did it made it look like, yeah, this yeah, is yeah, a yeah. guy who's like a few years older. Yep. And he's like, yeah, and, you know. Oh, I bought into it. I think that's another intelligent reason behind the good old uh, dissolve uh, fade. So I like it from where it faded from one to the other, where it didn't like jump cut, like a hard cut. And then, yeah. Yeah, that last transition, that that last transition is what sells it. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. it just seems like it's an unnecessary thing. Because you you probably didn't even, you could get by. That's a matter of perspective. They would have needed to have a few more lines of dialogue in the episode to explain some of that stuff. But I think they could have done, they could have done the episode without that if they'd just written it a little differently. So they didn't need that. But I think it was, I think it really did help sell the continuity of it. And I don't just mean from like a fan, everything takes place in the timeline thing but i mean like the continuity of the character's experiences you know like for this to work for this to be effective Mm -hmm. storytelling and like um for this to be a captivating uh story for pike we need to buy that it's the same pike that experienced that previous thing Mm -hmm. and so that helps sell that otherwise Mm -hmm. it's just like oh this this new actor is just pretending like he was in the cage, but we know he wasn't but but by showing us that and doing the transition it kind of helps us buy that this is the same guy, even though that episode was like 55 years ago. It kind of helps us buy that, which is kind of what you need. You need that buy-in. Mm-hmm. This is the same Talos Four. This is the same Vina. They even did a little trick I remember reading with the new actress, Melissa George, who was playing Vina. They had her, they for the re, for the previously on things, they like combined her voice, her mm-hmm. reading the classic lines with the original actresses. So that when she appeared in the, in the new footage in the episode, You'd she sounded kind of similar yeah. to the other one. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was cool that they kept... Like, we knew from the preview that Talos Four was going to be in the episode. Obviously, we know that Spock is going to appear, all this other stuff. But they kept the fact that Vina was going to be in this episode a secret. Like, nobody knew that she was going to appear. Yeah. Um, so that then when she does, you're like, wow, is that the same? Per-? Like, cause yeah. I mean, for us, we just watched that episode a few years ago. But imagine if you'd, like, grown up watching Star Trek, and this is a character that you hadn't seen in, like, 30, 40, 50 years, and there she is on screen again for the yeah. first time. Like, that would have been mind-blowing. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like it was it was a it was just a, it was a really good episode too. Like the stuff between Pike and Vina was really compelling. Like, and I, I really does add like an interesting element of tragedy to his character that even years after he's left there, he still thinks of her, and he's still like part of him was left there in like a, a spiritual way, yeah, and possibly also like a literal, like mental way, kind of like did he leave like a fragment of his memory there for them to like build upon so i don't know how well that's how, how the cage this is interesting because that's how the cage left the original unaired pilot the ending was not that pike went back to 
Talos for to live out his existence after a tragic accident and and you know be be happy with the woman that he met but it ended the way where that Vina um got to spend her time with the manufactured yes yeah, so I don't know kind of copy of him and so that was in continuity so that says to everybody who's a real TOS fan that hey um the 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 episode the cage um took place in its fullness, in its continuity. And it was interesting that they only used footage from the menagerie, but I don't know. It's, it was, I don't know. I just, I enjoyed that part of it too. Yeah. Because, and, and I'm glad it came up in their conversation too. That was interesting too, because she knows that it's a facsimile. She knows that her own face is a facsimile, is, that, is, is a pretty illusion and nothing else. But she's happy to live in that illusion and she's happy that she has the echo of the person, the one only person that she ever really loved. And that's beautiful in a nice haunting way, you know. So one thing Anson Mount said before this, the season started is that it's it, one of his goals in playing the character this season is to recontextualize Captain Pike's um, fate as being, you know, zombie wheelchair guy yeah. being taken back to Talos Four. This was an important as, episode for that. As, as a, from a tragedy to a victory. Yes. And I, and I, I, I'm like, oh, that would be a neat trick. I'm not That's quite sure if this episode really quote. does that. I mean, yes, we learn that. I mean, what this episode gives us is we learn that he still cares for and thinks about Vina. So it doesn't quite come out of nowhere when he wants to go back there and be with her. Right. But I'm not sure it really. I mean, maybe there's more to come for him that will serve that purpose. But I'm not sure that this episode, if this is the episode that he was like pinning all those hopes on, I'm not sure this really, really does that. I'm not sure it makes that. It's it's still a tragedy. It's just sure. a tragedy that he manages to, to eke out some some joy, joy yeah. out of you mm-hmm. know but it's not the fate that he would have chosen for himself if that was the fate that he wanted for himself he would just go back now yeah or he rather would be an able-bodied starfleet captain out in the world you know mm-hmm. so I'm not, i don't know maybe there's more to come to that point but i i felt i thought that was an interesting quote so i i was thinking about it when watching this like is this kind of what he was getting at maybe i don't know um and all the Spock Burnham stuff is really interesting too. I like the way the actors played off each other. Yeah, it did seem like the Talosians fixed Spock awfully quickly, but I guess you kind of need that to happen because how how long do you want him to be crazy? Yeah, guy and how all the complicated time? is? I mean, these are like really powerful brain beans. Yeah, because so. they dove into they delved into his memories and showed them to Michael, and then when we came back out, he was fine. But whatever. Um, so, but then we learn more about the Red Angel. So it is definitively now a human, not just like a humanoid, but mm-hmm. a human being from Earth from the future mm-hmm. um, in some sort of suit. And I was hearing people say that Spock mentioned a gender, mentioned, referred to he it did. as she. Mm-hmm. I didn't remember that from the episode. Is, is that, I, was thought, that... I, thought she, I thought he did. Okay, so, so she that's showed interesting. Me images that, or that's something. interesting. So I, I completely glossed over that. Um, so that's interesting. That narrows down the suspects considerably. Yeah. Um, so someone is trying to, you know, someone from the future, some human woman from the future is trying to... I mean, the obvious thing is it's michael, michael from, from the future, the future yeah. but how would she be hundreds of years in the future that doesn't really make Track. much sense so i don't know there's there's a lot there's a lot we still don't know so what do you think what do you ethan think of ethan peck now that we've seen him actually be regular spock and not just crazy padded cell spock there were a couple moments that definitely had a spock echo like a Lem- leonard nimoy and zachary quinto version 
echo kind of like a commonality between the characters that they all three seem to understand pretty deeply because obviously he makes this part his own and we also don't want him to be a fully fledged Spock because this is earlier in his timeline and earlier in his character development so it was cool in the in the recap in the previously on Star Trek yes, thing too, I think they included I, scenes of yes. Spock which they didn't need to do because his experiences on Telos 4 don't really need to be recapped right but they showed him smiling and laughing and yep. playing with the flowers and mm-hmm. stuff to remind us, remember, this is what Spock was like only a few years before this. Right, exactly. It's not the Spock you remember. This is the way he was originally. Because otherwise you got the people that either didn't see the cage or, or forgot about the cage or are very set in their ways as Star Trek fans. Like, mm, sure. Spock shouldn't be smiling and he, he should shouldn't be, be growing a beard. And, and wise. But no, yeah. like he was, he was a goofball practically mm-hmm. in the cage. So, you know, yeah. I feel like that they included those because it's I love jarring com- to see Leonard Nimoy after having watched all the other stuff. When's the first Star Trek you've ever seen? Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, here's this weird alien guy and he smiles sometimes, but not a lot, right? Mm-hmm. But when you've seen all other Star Trek and you go back and see that scene of him smiling as he's playing with the yeah. flowers, like... You feel like you're having a stroke. Like, what is happening, right? <laughs> yes. But it's kind of so when smock, smock, Spock smiles um, at smock the end. Smiles. At the end. Smock smiles. At the end to Pike, <laughs> right? When he says, uh-huh. We're going to go off and do this thing, and you know, it might be a little fun or whatever. And Spock smiles at him. Yeah. You're like, Guys, oh, it's all got a little bit of that, you know, a little bit yeah. of that humor in there. Is that, you know? is that a smile I just saw? Yeah. I, the way that I look at it is, I, I com- so I completely buy him as Spock. For me, I don't see it. I don't, I don't know. It's weird. How can both things be true? But for me, they are. I completely buy him as Spock, just like I bought Quinto as Spock. Yep. I'm not getting much, if any, Nimoy from, from either of them. But oh, that doesn't bother me. I don't agree. Well, I That's mean, that, my perception. It's, it's, it's subjective. It's fine. I mean, I, exactly. I, I, compl- I agree that they are hitting similar notes and they're trying to do similar things. Can I just tell you the Intentionally one thing? and unintentionally. But I think that for me, I'm just getting a different, a completely different vibe. Of, but it's fine because it's, to me, it's just a different interpretation. Mm-hmm. And it, it, this was something that uh, I'll, I'll let you interject in a second. But this is with, I'm trying to remember if someone said that in re- regards to recasting like one of the roles for this show, whether it was Pike or Spock, or whether it was something someone said in, when the J.J. Abrams movies were being made. But someone was reluctant to take a role because they're like, I can't take this role. Like this is William Shatner's role or whatever. <laughs> obviously, obviously that would have been Chris Pine. But it's like someone was saying that. It's like I can't. I don't know if I can do this. And the the person in charge at the time said, you know, just. Don't look at it like taking Leonard Nimoy's role. Look at it like Shakespeare or something, right? Like uh-huh. these are classic characters yeah. that that are that deserve to live on. And and different actors can have different takes on them and they can all be true to that character, mm-hmm. but they don't need to match the other previous performances. Like if Zachary Quinto and maybe yeah, he did, I know Zachary Quinto and Leonard Nimoy actually became really close friends, but Maybe he did go back and watch all the Leonard Nimoy stuff. Maybe he didn't. But if he didn't, I don't really hold it against no. him because he was playing, you play Spock. You don't have to play Leonard Nimoy playing Spock. Playing Spock. Right. It's like when they did the Buffy comics and the artist oh, yeah. was killing himself trying to match Sarah Michelle Gellar's likeness on every panel. And Joss Whedon said, don't try to draw Sarah Michelle Gellar, just draw Buffy. Yeah. And the two are going to overlap sometimes, but the the essence of Buffy doesn't have to look like Sarah Michelle Gellar. It has to capture some of her mannerisms and but there's there's a buffiness to Buffy yeah. that is not that is not like always the way Sarah Michelle Geller is in or out of that role it's right. it's a, there's a it's a Venn diagram but it's not always the same you know mm-hmm. draw Buffy don't draw Sarah Michelle Geller like play Spock don't play Leonard Nimoy playing Spock like you said so I and I feel like that's kind of what he was doing here I I completely buy it I really like him but to me I wasn't getting a lot of Nimoy so much of it I think is the voice like Leonard Nimoy had such a distinctive 
Baritone. Oh, you can't. Yeah, you can't mimic the voice, but the the cadence of it was really the same thing. The one thing that really really tied it to the Spock character for me was later on in the episode when he's walking through mentally walking through with Burnham the the escape that he had from the mental asylum where um, he was drawing on the floor and then the three people come in and he. Uh, and Michael Burnham is observing by sitting in the corner of the same room. And he, you know, does some uh, Vulcan pinch Kung Fu to get <laughs> which right. title. It's whatever, it's whatever the, it's whatever the Vulcan right before, martial art that DePaul was teaching people on Enterprise. Right, and, and both both she and, uh, sorry, both Michael Burnham and Spock know it. But anyway, um, I mean, as evidenced by this scene and evidenced by um, previous scenes where Michael Burnham got to... She has a very specific fighting style, and I so appreciate that the show went through the effort of teaching it to her. But anyway, back to my point. Um, the moment right before he leaves the door, when he looks at Michael and she says, so you, the, they say you murder or whatever, and he says, do you, you see, still do, you you still do not here? know my mind. Do you see murder here? Yeah. And then he walks out there, and I'm like, oh, that's fine. Even when you're in, that my, was, even when you're in my you're memories, in my you don't memories, trust me. You don't. Do you see murder here? You yeah. Know? And he left. Yeah. And that was so... Oh, that yeah, was power. That, that, that was, was that, that was, was a Spock moment that was, right there. That was probably the strongest, like, recognizable Spock moment in the whole thing. But yeah, I, I completely, I'm okay with it being like, is Chris Pine playing the same Kirk as William Shatner is? Not really. He he's has more, a couple mannerisms more, here and there, but it's his. It's his role. He's kind of yeah. playing. Yeah, like I feel like, yeah, a lot of the actors in the movies, the J.J. Abrams movies, are kind of playing the public consciousness version of those characters. Like Chris, Chris Pine, like Kirk was never that much of a hot shot arrogant like ladies man guy like you know what i mean like he, yeah he he had a few dalliances over the course of the show but no more than say like Riker, and and he he was never like the hot shot love him and leave him kind like he, he always you always felt like he was actually cared deeply cared yeah. for the women kind of thing like a dick racing kind of thing like he sure. has a lot of relationships but he really cares with them whereas chris pine was playing like a younger flashier more hot shot it was like everything was ramped up to 11 right like this is a 21st century lens flare <laughs> action movie version of yeah, kirk yeah. You know? but it's fine it's like it's just a different you know ramped up version of kirk and quinto is playing a spock that like screams sometimes and mm-hmm. cries and has a and falls in love with uhura like mm-hmm. nimoy would never have done any of those things but it's just you know it's a sort of an amped up version of spock and this is just this is the discovery version mm-hmm. of spock and yep. so unlike those movies it does have to be of a piece with nimoy because it is still the same version of spock whereas those movies are completely different timeline even right it has to be a bit more of a piece and so hopefully we're not going to get a lot of scenes of him like screaming and carrying on and like the thing that people like point to is like the least Spock thing ever is where he's like jumping from air car to air car at the end yeah. of Into Darkness screaming and punching Khan in the face over and over again like that's mm-hmm. the least Spock thing ever um, so yeah hopefully we'll, they won't take it that far but yeah I mean they, they do buy themselves some leeway by the fact that this is supposed to be a younger version of him and everything obviously well I mean yeah but as you said I mean it's not supposed to be an impression it's supposed to be an- an interpretation and there's the difference i i'm really enjoying him as and, spock and i we, think he's doing a great job we talked about anson mount too is, like, is he yeah. playing the same pike as jeffrey same hunter thing. not Manners really like jeffrey little, hunter was so dry well, he, and stoic and he was closed. he was 60s leading man like yes you know what i mean like a what almost like a western hero he had the right had inflections the, in the had, right place and the, the intensity was he had the yeah. square jaw yes. and the glint you know, like yeah, the, yeah. Sort of oh, the squint, yeah. the mm-hmm. sort of like the act, the 60s, 50s, 60s, like Western hero yes. squint, mm-hmm. you know, where he's like, I know the you one. Know what I mean? And you're doing it very well right now, by but the way. But this is the way that Roddenberry <laughs> sold. This is the way Roddenberry sold Star Trek to the network at the time and presumably to the actors that he wanted to cast. It's like, 
Wagon Train to the Stars. It's a Western, but in space, you know? Wow. And so Jeffrey Hunter was playing like the town Joss sheriff. Joss Whedon took it and ran with it with Firefly. Well, he was, <laughs> Jeffrey Hunter was probably told, you're going to be basically playing like the lawman, like the town sheriff, yeah. but in space, basically. And I feel like that's the way he played it, is like the, the paragon of virtue, yep. s- sort of stone-faced sheriff, above reproach, completely complex, morally impeccable. Complex, haunting past. But somewhat check, haunted, check, check. you know, yeah. like mm-hmm. with a perhaps a bit of a predilection towards violence and sort of a haunted nature because of Mm -hmm. things he's gone through. Like that was who he was playing. And our conception of like a leading man and moreover like a commanding officer, like a modern 21st century or 23rd century, like commanding officer. Mm -hmm. And like, how do you be like a man's man in the, in the, in 2019 or in the 23rd century? It's a lot more like Anson Mount, you know, he's more collaborative. He's more empathetic. You know, yeah. he's 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 quicker with a smile. He uses humor to diffuse situations. You know, he he's he a very three-dimensional and relatable and realistic person. Right, person is is the is the key. But word it still in this. somehow feels like the same Pike. Like I don't know how I don't know how they do it, but it still feels like yeah. After a few years of kind of softening with the experiences he had on Talos Four and with further removed yes. from whatever was haunting him in the cage, I could kind of. He gets you a bit sort, more comfortable in his own skin again. You I could sort buy. of retroactively justify Jeffrey Hunter's portrayal. Yeah, you start to sort of, it starts to color your memory of the original portrayal. Like, yeah, right. maybe he did smile. Like, you, you kind of forget. They yeah, kind of blur exactly, together in your mind. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I think it's, it's I think it's a really great episode. So it's uh, such great writing. Shout out to the writing too. Can I just say yeah. I love this? I love the show, and the writers on it really make it pop because so, they understand people. Yeah, we we probably don't have to spend a lot of time on the DC stuff. I, I do feel like the the Gotham episode, the trial of Jim Gordon. I I kind of get. I, I ben, by the way, ben written McKenzie by wrote, Ben yeah, McKenzie and Aaron Richards, who plays Barbara, uh, directed it. No kidding. I thought that it was well directed. Oh, I mean, she did. definitely was. You know, they definitely. Amped up the trial sequence, the dream hallucination. Yeah. I thought that the stuff between Jim, Jim and um, Lee was effective. Like, mm-hmm. the, it's, it, I'm surprised Agreed. they were able to thread that needle actually, because they've been so many up and downs, and they yeah. only just got back together. To, so to have them propose and married at the end, but I don't know. Like, I think whether it was the it actors or what it was, like, it did, it did work for me. I do feel like, and I you know we talk, say about this a lot with Gotham as like weird choices and missed opportunities, but I feel like they really could have done more with the trial sequence. Like there was so yeah. little of it, and all it was is just Gordon standing there, mm-hmm. like evil Gordon is the prosecutor. They call one witness, Lee, mm-hmm. who says a few things, and then there's a thing with Gordon in like the electric chair, and she drops the baby, and that's it. But like have the thing like the Batman animated series episode where he's on trial in Arkham Asylum, you know, where like yeah. all the other characters come in yeah. and they remind us of bad things he's done over the yes. course of the show and we see the villains that he helped create. That could be the entire You could bring episode. in, like bring Michael Chiklis back. Yeah. You could bring in some old cameos. Ooh. Or just have the current cast members reference things that have happened on the show. And But in, instead, it's just like there's two or three people there. It feels like a little cheap play. It did feel, yeah. It Even felt... though it was well shot and well directed, very atmospheric. Felt like it got a lot of uh, just invert, editing cuts. Invert the, invert the running time between, like, right now I feel like it was like 90% real world, 10% weird dream trial. Could have been the other invert way around. Invert those mm-hmm. and have that be the main thing, even if you need to sh- shunt some of the real world events to the next episode or something like the wedding. Really delve into that. Like, this could have been a great opportunity to really drill down into his character a lot. Like, what did we learn about him from this those trial sequences? We didn't Nothing. learn anything about no. him. He's, he's, he's he con- didn't really even have a... He's conflicted. Um, he's worried that he hurts the people around him too much. This is like... He didn't really have much of an epiphany there either. No, just that he wanted to live. Yeah, that's it. But uh, it wasn't, they could it have wasn't done, earned. They could have done so much more. Like, this could have been a really cool inflection point for his character, where he's like, you know what? The hell with it. I, I, I do do more good than harm. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to start to 
I'm going to remind myself of that more. I'm going to live in the moment. I'm going to like seize life. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And when he comes out of this, maybe like a, a little less scowly and more yes. of like the more lighthearted Jim Gordon that we know. Mm-hmm. But instead it's like, yeah, he gets married. So maybe he'll be a little lighter after this. But yeah, they, this could have been a really cool moment. Where they only have like three episodes left. Make this the moment where he starts becoming the Jim Gordon that we recognize from when he's older, from the comics and everything. But I feel like they didn't really do that. If they are doing that, then they didn't, they didn't make it explicit here that he's yeah. had some sort of a Oh, it could have been a cool episode. So I, I feel like, I, while I enjoyed it, it felt like a missed opportunity. Yeah. Supergirl, you know, they adapt the What's So Funny About the American Way classic Joe Kelly, Doug Monkey, Libra Mayho story from Action 750, 775? I forget what it was. One of the best Superman stories of all time, Superman versus the Elite, was made into a great animated movie with George Newbern, really good. Um, they change a lot about it here. I mean, yeah, Supergirl fights the elite, mm-hmm. but there's not really the whole thing that the movie and the comic pivoted on, which is that the elite are, I mean, they kind of get there. The elite are doing morally questionable things like killing people. And in the comic, Superman basically wants them to stop. He won't stoop to that level. It comes to the point where he has to choose whether to fight them or let them continue to do what they're doing. And he chooses to fight them. And the question is, can he defeat them without killing is he willing to die to show people how far he'll go to preserve life? Right. Or is he going to be able to stop? And it makes it look like that he's killed them, you know, mm-hmm. on worldwide television to shock people into realizing how little they want Superman to be a murderer. Yeah. And then he reveals he actually was able to stop them. He has that great speech at the end, which they pretty much adapted verbatim from the movie, um, where Manchester Black calls him like a hopeless dreamer. And he's like, I'm basically like, I'll, I'll always be a dreamer. Dreams lift us up and transform us mm-hmm. until the day that, my dream for what this world can be becomes a reality. I'll never stop fighting ever. So it's something close to that, mm-hmm. you know. And and you know that that's a fantastic Superman story. And and they kind of they kind of try to do it a little bit here, but you don't really feel the you don't really feel like the the inevitable. You're, they're coming to a conflict, and somebody's going to die. Bar- mm-hmm. Two trains barreling at each other thing between Manchester Black and Supergirl the way you did between Manchester Black and Superman in the comic. If mm-hmm. anything, they're kind of positioning Manchester Black as being like Jean's opposite number. Yeah, they are, yeah. And, and, um, and, uh, give me a second here. Evil, evil, um, Hat? Darth Maul. Give me a second. Sam Witwer. Oh. They're kind of positioning Sam Witwer, Sam Witwer as being like Kara's arch nemesis for the season and Manchester Black is kind of Jean's you know what I mean yes so I they they use the name they use the conceit of the elite you know they've got Manchester Black menagerie in the hat and they fight Supergirl a little and you know it's fine I mean they they did an episode in the first season too called for the for the what they say for the woman or for the girl who has everything and it was kind of Mm -hmm. for the man who has everything with the black mercy in the dream world they use the name they use the basic conceit it's fine I would have I would have preferred a more direct adaptation because I feel like they could do it in the show like they could use what the bones of the show and use that story and make it work but they kind of sort of watered it down a little bit too much um King Shark versus Gorilla Grodd on the flash that was fun um I wasn't getting a lot from the guy that had playing the live action human King Shark, he was fine. He just, he just kind of like oh, s- seemed like I liked him actually. Action I thought man. he had. Okay, so his appearance aside, yes, he looks like a quintessential. He just, he just kind of had like the. He had a. Uh, he, he. I'm, I'm a, I'm a tough guy, but I have these feelings deep inside that I, that I'm trying to express. But I'm just gonna. That have, works. I'm just gonna have that like a stubble for, and a scowl the whole time. You know what I mean? That works for. I know if he has a stubble as a human, why doesn't he have a stubble as a shark? Well, it like goes I'm inside just you. Kidding. When you're, yeah, I know. There was a thing where where General where General Ross, you know, William Hurt's character from the Hulk movies, became a Hulk himself, 
Um, but he didn't have his mustache when he was a Hulk because when he like grew and his skin like stretched or whatever, then the hairs <laughs> from the mustache like went back inside his upper lip okay, or something. Okay, well so that doesn't some... explain the head on uh, the hair on his head. Uh, his long hair uh, becomes short hair. Comic book science. That, that skin didn't stretch as much. Um, <laughs> no, but um, I, I don't know. I did like his performance actually. He didn't have a whole lot of stuff to do, but I could tell that he. I, I thought don't know. it was. Okay. I liked. He was great. I thought. I thought he was very nice. And I. The whole love I story thing was really his by the connection to me. Yes, of course, but I mean. They didn't really have a lot of time. They introduced new people. I know. They introduced a new conceit. They introduced a new situation. And they're asking you to, in 15 minutes, be completely invested. Like, no. But for someone whatever who, they told us, I was, for I, someone I was who able always to gives, enjoy and buy. gives episodes so many points for when they subvert your expectations. I'm a little surprised that you're... That you're okay when these, you know, that, that you don't not get more frustrated su- when these, well, yes. not what everything has to surprise. But I mean, you kind of knew like, oh, I see, he's going to become human and then there's going to be a threat that only he can solve. So he has to choose to become King Shark again, but there's, he's going to maintain communication with, with the woman and they're going to have like the Beauty and the Beast thing at the sure. end where, um, th- there was a weird moment early on in the episode that I wonder if you, if you noticed where, so Barry and Cisco and Caitlin, I can't remember, go to like the pier. With, oh, it's Lila. Lila was the other person. Mm-hmm. Barry and, and Cisco and Lila go to the pier. They talk to this scientist woman, right, about yeah. what, they, what they're proposing. And they're like, oh, we've got this metahuman cure. She's like, oh, you've got a metahuman cure. And then she turns to relay this yeah, information yeah, yeah. to King Shark. And she's like, oh, they have this cure yeah. and it works by doing this, that, and the other thing. And it's completely tested. And like, wait, and fair, you only and, found out that this cure existed five seconds ago. And yeah. yet now you're relaying all these scientific facts about it yeah that like, was a poorly you suddenly written know scene. so much about that the was, cure that was a poorly written scene yeah. they didn't need to no, do that no. they could have had barry relay that information to her and then anyway it's just like suddenly she knew everything about the cure even though yeah, they literally crazy. just said like, we have a cure is... and they held up a glowy vial yeah. and she's like all of a sudden she knows their complete methodology and everything yeah. um no, that scene in general, because it didn't make sense to me. I actually no- noticed more flubbery in the background. Like, I don't understand how somebody got pushed back in the thing and conveniently stays there um, on their bums uh, just long enough for the two main people. And it felt like too long. And you're looking at them well, in the background. Well, that happens a lot in these shows. Like, people get away I know, but they it shouldn't really be able to get o- away. And- yes, but it was really obvious in this particular scene. And so I think overall this scene was pretty weak. But, yeah. but. I love the show so, overall. Arrow, I thought this was a good episode. It's called Brothers and Sisters. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm enjoying the... We talked about this last time, but I'm enjoying... Acronym. I'm enjoying the future stuff more. Now, it's funny how... how a, what a small difference... Uh, what a big difference a small little thing can make. Like, knowing that this girl, Mia, is Felicity and Oliver's daughter, mm-hmm. and recontextualizing these future scenes as, like, a reunion between... Brother, brother and, and sister. Brother and sister, kind mm-hmm. of. And how they're going to pick up the pieces from their parents and look for them makes it a lot more interesting for me than the way it was before, which is like a, a random bunch of characters, some old and some young, are just kind of hanging out in different locations that we know from the present and talking about how bad things have gotten. Yeah. and like It felt a little repetitive in terms of how bad... should have gotten to this much earlier. Yes, that's like, this exactly This shouldn't what be saying. episode this... 17. This yes. should have been like episode 7. They should have gotten to this stuff. Agreed. Uh, the one, th- it, one weird choice... They, they, so Connor Hawk is there. It's the same guy that played him in that Legends episode. Yes. But he mentions that he's John Diggle's adopted son. Adopted? Now, yeah. Did you not notice that? No, I they did not. They mentioned that explicitly in the episode. Now, thinking back to that Legends episode, did they explicitly say that he was John Diggle Jr., John's biological son who just changed his name, or did they just refer to him as John's son? No, you're remembering it correctly, the former, John Diggle Jr., and he changed okay. his name. So, so that was an, so that was an alter. So, why is it the same actor? Why did you? Are you sure yes, he said adopted? I'm 100 percent sure because I read, I read, I read, a, I read a blurb online that mentioned that the actor was playing 
Diggle's adopted son. And I'm like, adopted? Why would he be adopted? He wasn't adopted in that Legends episode. So I was looking for hints of that when I watched this episode, and they explicitly mentioned, oh yeah, he's my adopted father. I don't know why they did that, but... Um, maybe Does that mean Connor Hawk is his real name, or he, is he? Yeah, this version was he adopted of it. as so, a baby named John I, Diggle Jr. I don't, and then, I don't know. I'm assuming that that's this guy's real name, and John just adopted him at some point. But if that if that's true, why is it the same actor playing John Diggle Jr. in the future and a random unrelated guy named Connor Hawk? Well, you know what I, I mean, mean? I why can justify it? I can justify it this way because the. At the, when that episode aired, where we first saw the actor, actually, baby Sarah was a thing. Right. So the alternate was a future, bit of a there could be a flashpoint problem. <laughs> Just chuck everything. Yeah. I guess. I mean, if you think about it. I guess, but but why is it? Why does he look the same? They're two different people. They just happen to be using the same name. One okay, at that point, it's just one... comic book science. I don't know. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I, I guess. They, I, the writers weird, decided to change but their why mind. Would they even, but why would they do that? Why would they make this version his adopted son? I don't know, why don't but just I'm make sure it, there's a point. I don't know. Why would they do that? Unless they're planning on introducing because John Diggle Jr. himself later in these future scenes? If you think about it this way, John Diggle's son already exists, and maybe he'd be too young to participate Maybe the in ages don't future? work. Well, this is Star City yeah. 2040, so it's 21 years from now. How old is John Diggle Jr.? Like three or four? So he'd be yep. in his mid to late 20s, which looks like roughly yeah, what this guy is. The ages do work. I don't know I why know. they did that. I don't know. Anyway, it doesn't really... But I'm like, why? We're trying to reverse doesn't, engineer doesn't really the writing's matter. thinking um, processes. So this episode of Doom Patrol was called Cult Patrol. This this was a lot of fun. Like, I, I kind of hope, like, we get more episodes like this because Titans didn't really do this with the exception of maybe, ironically, the Doom Patrol episode. Like, they didn't, they didn't <laughs> do, like, a lot of... Here's a completely different... It doesn't really have much to do with the Chief, if anything. They're searching for the Chief. As Mr. Nobody isn't in there. This is like almost a self-contained, I mean, it's to be continued, but it's like a completely self-contained sort of superhero story Mm -hmm. where it doesn't really have anything to do with a larger arc. It's just like, oh, a guy comes to the team with this problem. They need him to help solve and they try to solve it, you know? Yep. And, but again, like really, really well-written, great performances. I mean, Mark Shepard, Oh, he's I mean, amazing. I loved him in, and you know, he was in a couple of Firefly episodes. Yep. He was great as the the skeezy lawyer guy in Battlestar Galactica, Romo Lampkin. Remember? Oh, that defended I defended Baltar. Yes. Um, and then he shows up again at the end and gets made like president of the colony. You for didn't five see seconds. him in Supernatural. He played a uh, no, demon in that I one. Know. Oh, he was great I in I've that. I've seen him as in a well. bunch of other stuff too. I he's think so he, funny. Was he in like a, he was in? Oh, he was in we, that kind of. Cool he was way. in some Star Trek. He was Echeb's father. You're right. In, Vo- in that Voyager episode, I he looked remember. like he was—he looked like 20 in that episode, which is funny because yeah, it he probably was, was. <laughs> not that different time-wise than Voyager. Um, man, mm. do those two shows feel like they're from 100, diff- 100 yeah. years apart? Voyager and Firefly—they're only yeah. a few years apart, but they feel like such different eras of sci-fi, don't they? I know. Um, yeah, so he's always great. And uh, for people who don't know the history of this character, uh, Willoughby Kipling is the character's name. Uh, Grant Morrison wanted to use John Constantine in his Doom Patrol run, but the editors were like, oh, we don't really want you using him because we're trying to separate like the Vertigo and non-Vertigo stuff. And I forget which side of the line Doom Patrol was on at the time. Blah, um, blah, so reasons, like, you can't really, yeah. you can't, can't use him. So it's like, okay, I'll, I'll create my own version. So he basically created like a, a dark haired John Constantine and made him Willoughby Kipling. And that's what Shepard is playing here is basically like off-brand John Constantine, but it's great, you know? Yeah, it's fantastic. Like we were talking about how he would actually be a really interesting choice for Constantine. It would be a very different, like it would be like a yeah, darker, be... sort of grittier, kind of more down in, down in the dumps, down on your luck version yeah. of Constantine. He's than more like the weathered, rakish more experienced, man. more hardened, more cynical, more jaded. 
personality. And yeah. That would work. But I mean, just, you can extrapolate modern Constantine or the current yeah, representation like of him. Yeah, like 20 years on, which he kind of lets himself he go looks a little like bit. Him. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. No, nothing against... He still knows magic and he still, like, is on the mission, but he's so much more just done. But nothing against Mark <laughs> Shepard, but he's got, like, a little bit of a gut on him. Sure, and, you know, Matt whatever. Ryan is, like, skinny as a rake, right? Yeah. So, like, he feels like he's... John Constantine, after he's, like, let himself go. Like, he doesn't care about saving people anymore. He doesn't care about his appearance or his health. He just cares about, you know, getting the job done, you know? Yeah. Sa- saving the earth or destroying the magical threat or whatever. It doesn't matter who's got to get hurt, who's got to lie to, mm-hmm. you know, how much of himself he's got to destroy or whatever. Like, yep. it's the thing. Which, you know, is kind of heroic in a way, but it's it's a lot more of the... It's kind of more similar in, in a lot of ways. It's kind of more similar to the classic Vertigo John Constantine where he would, like do some pretty bad stuff to get the job done. Whereas like we've talked about the Matt Ryan version, because he was on, you know, an all ages network like NBC and then was on the CW and on like a, a one of the lighter shows in the CW at that has, has been played as a bit more of like a bit more heroic, you know, like you can't, I don't, not sure you would really buy at this point after all we've seen of Matt Ryan's Constantine mm-hmm. making the kind of choices that the comic book Constantine would make routinely where people would get screwed over, people would die, you know, like he would he would literally like kill people to get what he wants, you know, like I'm not sure you would really buy that level of, mm-hmm. you know, self-centeredness or, or ruthlessness from the Matt Ryan Constantine just because we've gotten to know he's like, ah, oh, he's like the lovable grumpy Constantine. He's not like the, yep. you know, so I don't know. It would have been interesting is is like in an alternate reality if, if Mark Shepard got the job as... John Constantine. I'm not sure they would ever. Can you imagine NBC positioning a new hot drama? Yeah, yeah. For 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 like the the, the teenagers, but getting like frumpy Mark Shepard in there as like 55 year old John Constantine with yeah. his gut and everything. Like I'm not sure they would have been able to sell that show, but it would have been constipated Constantine. It would have been yeah. interesting as like a, a relic from an alternate reality or something. <laughs> if did that would that. be great. Um, Maybe they could just film the pilot. <laughs> So, and, and yeah, I'm really, so I, I don't know, I'm really enjoying the show. And so it's to be continued. We've got this big eye in the sky now, which kind of reminds me, reminds me of like that weird cat eye creature yeah. from that the, one Next Gen episode. Those scenes, by the way, in Normsby or wherever the heck it was in that little, turns yeah, out that really it was well, an orb. They were really well re- Really good production really well done. That, yeah. yeah. It was very Tim Burton-esque. Oh, and the, so, it was... so much Grant Morrison stuff in this in this episode too. With oh, like the all, Dry Bachelors. All, all, the con- all the names for things and the concepts, like the, the, Razor ki- nuns, the kid is a book that needs to be read yeah. and like oh here's these here's these soldiers you're fighting but they're actually made up of like unsent love letters from yes. bachelors and you and like the name like the sisterhood of the knives or the whatever razor. Sister, like, the sisterhood of the razor yeah, like, so, yeah. like these these names are like i'd have to go back so and look good. if they're not straight out of the morrison run like those are morrison names like you don't even need to say what they are Can you we don't just e- take a break right now and google it because i'm well, super you don't, curious you don't even need to see them you don't need to know anything about them you just you put a name out there and they're like what, what the heck is, is that? that? That's like, an arrangement of words for you. It's such an evocative name. Like, yeah. You know, like, you don't even need to know anything about it. And you instantly start imagining an entire mm-hmm. Army story for these yeah. people in mm-hmm. your mind, you know? And, and Gr- Morrison would drop, like, like in his JLA issues, which you've read some of now, like, he'll drop a bunch of concepts like that just randomly. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, here comes another writer. And he turns it into, like, a 30-issue series yeah. expanding on one of these concepts or whatever. Like, Alan Moore stuff has been strip-mined six ways from Sunday. Like, he wrote, like, three Green Lantern stories, and there's been dozens of Green Lantern stories. Yeah. 
Mogo and and Rotlop Fan and you know the Blackest Night and all that stuff. The Five Inversions, you got Atrocitus from that, and all that, you know, like yeah. Jeff Johns is strip mined his stuff six ways from Sunday, but Morrison stuff is just so dense with all these little things that you just a little turn of phrase or a name for something, yeah. and you're like, what is that? Is that a thing? Like, just... <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. Like they're really leaning into the Morrison aspect of it, which I'm really enjoying. Yep. Yep. No, it's a lot of fun. I've been enjoying this as well, and it's heavy duty concepts and. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. That's it for our shows. Well, yes. So I hope you enjoyed this super long episode. And if you want to reach out to us, we are on Twitter at Smarts Podcast. On Facebook, it's facebook.com slash smartspodcast. Our website is www.smartspodcast.com. And if you want to email us, mailbag at smartspodcast.com. How about a funny sound for us? I don't have one. How about... What was that? I don't know. (laughs)